Transportation Commission meeting of 2023 on November 15th today. We'll go ahead and um, start with roll call, agenda item one. Commissioner Dara Abrams. Here. Commissioner Johnson. Present. Commissioner Noctegal is absent today. Chair Souls. Here. Vice Chair Ewan is absent today. Commissioner Sutham Thera. Here. And Commissioner Whitesey. Here. Thank you, Lisa. Do we have any agenda changes under um, agenda item two? None for tonight? All right, we'll move on to agenda item three, staff communications. I'll turn it back over to you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Lisa Foster, acting transportation planning manager for the city of Alameda. Um, good evening, Chair Souls and commissioners. I uh, will give a little staff update. So on November 7th, the City Council authorized the agreement to purchase concrete barricades and directed staff to proceed with the updated striping on Park and Webster um, with direction to have additional ADA parking zones so that there is one per block face, one per side of the block. And um, they also authorized the parklet program extension with the direction to cap the total number of parklets. They accepted a couple of different grants recently for parking for Central Avenue. Um, and we have a survey for accessibility. Right now we are working on our ADA self-evaluation and transition plan. So we really encourage members of the community to fill out this survey. Um, the link is in the agenda for staff communications. And Caltrans District 4 bike plan is also currently has a survey still up. People can participate in that. And then Link 21 has an online open house at the moment. You can view draft concepts for a second train crossing of the bay. Um, we have a new, this is newly posted. There's going to be a Fernside Boulevard traffic calming and bikeways project work, community workshop on December 4th. That'll be at Edison Elementary School at 7 p.m. And that is launching that project. So that was not the first, not the only opportunity for input. Um, AC Transit has a couple of things coming up, but we won't, we'll let them speak to that. And then on December 14th, we have a hop on the bus with us at the Mastic Senior Center. Estuary Water Shuttle, you, we are getting some excited because the boat has arrived. It's very cute. It is named Woodstock. And <laughs> um, that, that will, of course, we're looking at late spring next year to launch that free two-year pilot water shovel service. And we also worked recently with Wilma Chan's children on a press release about the dangers of driving with low visibility. And we have published our third quarter fatal and injury crash um, numbers by mode, that's on our website for Vision Zero. So far this year, two people have died from traffic crashes and three have suffered severe injuries um, on Alameda streets. To help with that, we did install new speed cushions on Orion Street since we last saw you. That was done with uh, COVID-related grant funds. We did some striping maintenance, um, extending bike lanes on, on 
Santa Clara. We also did some striping maintenance on Oak, and then it's coming up on Main Street. Um, the Main Street Ferry Terminal is still closed for refurbishment. That will They're still planning to open that up at the beginning of the year. And the Alameda South City riders, some of them are using the um, subsidized Uber rides to get to Jack London Square that, that WIDA is offering. So we were initially hearing from some of them with concerns, but they do seem to be able to take advantage of that. The, um, and then just wanted to mention that we have new lights in the stairwells and the Civic Center parking structure. It's much brighter, and it, the lights are harder for teenagers to grab with their hands by jumping. Um, and you know, reminder that we, the city council did a lot, uh, $1 million in our um, CIP to improve that structure. I'll close there. Great. Thank you, Lisa. And we're going to move on to um, agenda item four. This is for public comment, and this is only for public comment that is on items that are non-agendized tonight. So if it's on the agenda, wait until we come to those items so that your comments can be heard by the commissioners under those specific topics. And I should also say that these are for public comments that are specifically related to the scope of the Transportation Commission. And so um, any public comments should not be directed towards specific individuals, and let's just try and behave ourselves and keep decorum tonight. Do we have any public comments? There are no speaker slips, and no one has raised their hand, Chair Souls. Okay. We will close out public comment and move on to the consent agenda. The first item, 5A, is to approve the draft minutes from the August 23rd meeting. And Lisa, I didn't bring my notes with me, so I don't recall if we have any abstentions from who was, ab if anyone was absent. Nobody was absent. Okay, great. Um, we'll go ahead and take any kind of comments from the commissioners or any friendly amendments that you'd like to see included in the finalized minutes um, or a motion to approve. Motion to approve. Commissioner Whitesey, thank you. Chair. Susan Deere, thank you. Oh, Aye. sorry. So I've got a mouthful of a last name. It's Dara Dash Abrams, and there are a couple places um, where I'd like it to reflect that. So thank oh. you. I mentioned this to Lisa before, so she's oh, aware. Okay. So. No, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Our apologies. We will correct that. Okay. Were there any others? Nope. Okay. Thank good. you. Okay. Uh, can I entertain another motion, just to be clear? Motion or second. Commissioner White, motion to approve. Thank you, <laughs> Commissioner Cynthia. Thank you. All in favor? Oh, we have to do the voice call, I believe. Are we doing voice? Voice is fine. Okay. Yeah. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed, say no. That closes agenda item 5A. We're on to 5B. This is to approve the 2024 commission meeting calendar. It has been published in the packet. I don't know if you'd like to say anything about it. Um, we're keeping the same format as we did for this year, understanding that some meetings are just very difficult to find a quorum. And so if you see a meeting that's moved outside of our regular schedule, that's why. I did have a, I had one comment from that, if that's okay. Um, it doesn't personally bother me at all, but we do have a January meeting scheduled. I can see people might be uncomfortable given that there will be some mini COVID wave coming in December, January. I could understand a move to cancel the January meeting and move it to April, which I believe is open. I, I would support the current calendar as written, but I can understand if someone else feels differently. 
I'm okay with the current calendar. All right. Do I hear a motion? Motion to approve. Seconded. We'll take a voice vote. Thank you. All in favor say aye. 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 All opposed say no. Great, thank you. That moves us on to our regular agenda <coughs> items this evening. We're gonna start off with this agenda item 6A, which is uh, for this board to, to provide feedback to a presentation given on the AC Transit Realignment Draft Bus Plan. Um, so I believe we have a presentation this evening, so I'll turn it over to staff or AC Transit. Thank you, Chair. Good evening, Commission members. Um, my name is Maria Henderson. I'm External Affairs Representative at AC Transit, and this is my colleague, Crystal Wang. She's Transportation Planner at AC Transit. So today we are here to present on Realign. Realign is our initiative re to remake our bus transit network post-pandemic. Today we will be reviewing the bus service scenario proposals for bus routes serving Alameda. Slide. Thank you. AC Transit is the largest, largest public bus-only transit system in California, providing a lifeline and service to essential workers, students, low-income households, seniors, commuters, individuals with disabilities, and anyone wishing to reduce their carbon footprint. We operate bus service in cities and communities within Alameda and Contra Costa counties, as far north as Richmond, and as far south as Fremont. 43% of our riders are transit dependent, meaning that they are without a car to get to work, school, a medical appointment, or even the grocery store. Slide, please. Now, this map shows our network of lines that operate in the city of Alameda. The red lines show routes that are our most frequent service running 20 minutes or better along Webster, Park, and Santa Clara. Blue routes run every 30 to 60 minutes. And finally, the gray routes vary in frequency. These are our Transbay services, our early bird service, and our overnight owl service. Slide, please. What is Realign? The Realign process is a review of AC Transit, but AC Transit's bus network focused on where the routes go, how often they're running, and what days of the week and times of the day the buses are operating. Next slide, please. Why is Realign happening? We're doing all of this work for several, several reasons. Chief among them is the, that the pandemic has really shifted our travel pa patterns throughout our service area. Riders are moving around very differently from pre, from from now. Excuse me. Riders are moving very differently from from uh, our days before the pandemic. Our ridership is back up to seventy two percent, and we're very happy that it's steadily increasing every month. But we have lots of recovery to do in light of um, the days during the pandemic. People are riding our bus outside of traditional work hours. We're also seeing some challenges with bus operator hiring and retention, and with the funding and revenue to support our sustainable service. Next slide, please. 
We are now in phase three of the public engagement process. To date, we have solicited, heard, and incorporated community input on essential transit needs and priorities following two phases of public outreach. The input we've received so far was key to the development of the draft map scenarios we're presenting today. We will use any input gathered from today until December 13th to refine these draft service um, scenarios. Again, a key date is December 13th when the phase three comment period concludes. We are encouraging municipalities to work with their staff, TAC representatives, to submit their comments by November 29th so we can include them in our preliminary report to our board of directors on December 13th. Our staff will go back to the board again in late January with a preferred plan and the community will have another opportunity to comment. However, now is the time to have the most impact on the 2024 plan. The goal to adopt the final plan is in spring 2024, and then we will ro roll out a robust public outreach and communications campaign for a new bus service network starting in summer 2024 with a targeted implementation date of August 2024. Next slide, please. This past September, the board approved the following three guiding principles that were refined based on what we heard from the community across 47 events, nearly a thousand touch points, and one trilingual virtual workshop. These guiding principles are equity, reliability, and frequency. Now, it's critical to note that these principles are not mutually exclusive. I'll now turn to my colleague, Crystal Wang, to continue the presentation. Thanks, Maria. Um, next slide, please. Thank you. Um, so we have three service scenarios that we're going to cover today. Two of the scenarios utilize the resources that we have today and configure new routes based on our post-pandemic ridership data. And then we have an unconstrained scenario that illustrates our vision if we were to have um, additional resources in terms of buses, bus operators, facilities, and additional funding. Next slide. So first up is the balanced um, scenario, which keeps coverage everywhere in our service area as it exists today and expands it in a few places. Um, it also has some line realignments that improve reliability and access to layovers um, and restroom locations for our operators. And it also increases frequency on lines where ridership is higher. Next slide. And then we have our frequent service scenario, which is intended to provide a fast and frequent network where no lines are running less often than every 30 minutes. And it also includes improvements to the frequency of our trunk lines, like, um, like the 51A, for example. Um, and the, many of the routing recommendations from the balance scenario are carried through to this scenario. But a key thing to note is that the additional frequency in this scenario is accomplished by reducing coverage in the network. Um, in places where the fewest people are riding. Next slide. And then finally, we have our unconstrained scenario, which is our visionary scenario. And the general summary of this is just more of everything everywhere. Um, it restores a lot of the service that we suspended during the pandemic and then makes significant increases in frequency across the board on um, existing lines. And it also proposes new lines and service to communities that didn't have it before the pandemic. And while we don't have the resources um, in terms of buses, operators, and funding to achieve this vision today, it's, um, it can be used to advocate for more resources and represents kind of our vision of what's possible 
um, when funding for bus service becomes a priority. Next. Um, so now we're just going to get into some of the key highlights of the lines that serve Alameda, and then we're going to just get into a few here, but please note that there's much more detail um, on our website at actransit.org slash realign, um, and it includes profiles for each line, uh, maps, an interactive tool, and um, people can make comments on that, on specific lines on that tool. Next slide. So one of the most significant changes to the system is how lines 6 and 51 work together. Uh, currently, lines 51A and 51B, and only 51A runs in Alameda, but currently lines 51A and 51B meet each other at Rockridge BART, and then customers riding through need to make a transfer. So what we're proposing is to extend line 51A the whole way along college and then terminate it where line 6 currently ends in downtown Berkeley, um, where it'll cover half of the current line 51B, and then we propose extending line six along University Avenue to Berkeley Amtrak. So this will allow for more trips with the one seat ride without the need to transfer between Berkeley and Oakland. And these lines would run every 12 minutes in our balance scenario and every 10 in the frequent. Next slide. Uh, line 96 routing would remain unchanged in Alameda, but the routing in Oakland would be modified a little bit to serve Brooklyn Basin. Um, but for Alameda residents, it'll still serve the Lake Merritt BART and still go into downtown Oakland. Next slide. Um, these are for the Transbay lines that we operate in Alameda. Um, in both scenarios, line OX would be discontinued, but the Bay Farm coverage would be maintained by extending line W into Bay Farm Island. And parts of OX, like, um, like along Ensenal, will still be accessible by line O, which runs all day, every 30 minutes, seven days a week. Next slide. Um, in, these are for lines 21, 20, and 39. Um, in our balance scenario, there's no changes proposed to these three lines, but in the frequent scenario, line 21 um, would be discontinued, and then the line 20 would instead be configured as a crosstown route by extending it into the west end along Main, and then into Bay Farm along Otis um, and Island, but not all the way down to the airport. Uh, and then Line 39, which currently operates between Fruitvale Bar and Skyline High School, would be extended into Alameda down Park Street um, to the South Shore Center and would operate every 15 minutes. So we would be providing a simpler service between Alameda and the Fruitvale Corridor. Next slide. Um, this is just a summary overview of what the scenarios look like in terms of the numbers of lines in each frequency category, and in all scenarios, there are more lines operating every 10 minutes. Um, there is a drop in the number of local lines in the balance scenario compared to today's service, and that's just because we're consolidating some lines and extending others. And again, this is just a broad overview of some of the changes in Alameda, and I want to note that these are just draft proposals, um, and we may be making some adjustments. Um, and again, there are more details on our website. So, um, and now I'd like to hand it back over to um, Maria to talk about phase three engagement. Thanks, Crystal. As previously mentioned, we are in phase three of our public engagement process to support, review, and update our bus service network from now until December 13th. We are introducing bus service proposals and asking community members and riders to learn, review, and comment on our bus service proposals so that their voices can be heard in this process. Next slide, please. 
This phase of outreach will be focused on soliciting specific input on preliminary service plan proposals, representing a significant opportunity for our writers and community to share feedback. In this slide, you'll see a list of the various outreach strategies we are using to share information and to seek feedback from our writers and the greater Alameda community. Next slide, please. Thank you. You've just received a very high-level summary of the AC Transit Realign project that is a review of our bus network. Now, we are asking the Alameda community to review the draft proposals, provide comments, provide feedback, and additionally, we are asking you to share this information with your own community, neighbors, family, and friends so that their voices can be heard as well. We have set up online and in-person opportunities to engage with us. More information can be found at actransit.org forward slash realign. That's R-E-A-L-I-G-N, realign. You'll be able to learn more about our upcoming workshops, our pop-up events at bus stops, and our online um, feedback forms. You can also visit one of 20 local libraries to learn more about our service proposal information with line-by-line -line profile summaries available in English, Spanish, and Chinese for your review and opportunity to comment. Additionally, you can also email your comments to realign at actransit.org. Next slide, please. Thank you so much to all the commission members for having us today and we're available to answer any questions and comments. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Crystal. Uh, this is a discussion item, and so I'd like to open up to public comment first so that um, the commissioners have the benefit of hearing any other questions from the public that we can clear up during our discussion. Do we have any written or, excuse me, any um, online or in-person comments? Um, we were thinking, would you invite uh, one of the staff members for the city to speak a little oh, bit? of course, of course. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> Brian, I didn't mean to make okay, you. We're, we're, you could have just raised your hand. We're figuring this out. That's me. <laughs> um, just thought it might be helpful um, to sort of add a little extra context before the public and, and the commission engages. Um, so just sort of wanted to sort of share some preliminary thoughts that staff has been sort of starting to coalesce around as we digest the material. So first off, on behalf of staff, we want to thank AC Transit staff for all their hard work. They're on quite the road show right now, trying to cover every jurisdiction and commission and board and stakeholder group. So, um, you know, it's, it's a big job they have. And for Alameda specifically, obviously, um, our geography complicates the sort of challenge of, of their real, real line planning efforts, so just want to acknowledge that. Um, we are in AC Transit City, right? We're a bus first city. We don't have BART, um, and we have limited connections, you know, off the island to the mainland. Um, so, so we all know that good AC Transit service is cr crucial for our residents today, especially our lower income residents and equity priority communities. Um, but it's also needed to support the mandated growth anticipated in our general plan as well as our region's Plan Bay Area. Alameda's two primary growth areas, um, you may or may not be familiar, designated as priority development areas in those regional plans, are Alameda Point, which includes Alameda Landing, as well as the northern waterfront. Um, and, and one thing we just want to sort of, you know, level set is 
we see serving those designated growth areas as um, with quality transit as as sort of a fundamental um, need and responsibility of our regional transit partner. Um, so as we look at the realign scenarios with that context, a few things start to jump out at us. Um, not covered, uh, you know, there's a lot of detail in the presentation, um, can't cover it all. One thing, as it comes to the northern waterfront, one of our priority development areas, which includes Ensenal Terminals, Del Monte, Alameda Marina, et cetera, um, other smaller projects. Um, currently, it's served by the Line 19. It has 60-minute service. Um, before the pandemic, it had it started in 2016, had a higher frequency service, and then it was reduced um, uh, when COVID came along. But for us, we we think we simply can't give up on serving. So the realign proposals essentially propose to either eliminate or maintain just the 60-minute service. So the balance scenario um, would just keep the existing 60-minute service, um, which really I think is you know I think it's, start, it's not really a viable service. It's going to be hard to attract riders in a scenario like that. Um, and then the frequent scenario and the unconstrained scenarios um, currently do not envision keeping or, or expanding those service on line 19. Um, and we think we just can't give up on serving that, that growth area. Um, just this year alone, two different 360 unit multifamily apartment buildings came online um, along the northern waterfront. Um, and they're filling up now, right? They're, they're not full, but they are filling up. Um, hundreds more units are under construction and something like a thousand more are approved. So to us, line 19 established in 2016, it wasn't a bad line, right? But it may have just been a little bit ahead of its time. And now that the northern waterfront is really, you know, those projects were delayed, COVID came along, we think um, now is the time to sort of uh, re-engage and reevaluate that service for the future um, and recommit to it. And we think we have an opportunity um, because each unit on the northern waterfront gets an easy pass. Those units are, uh, they also have supplemental funding available to help increase transit service um, to their residents. So we think there's opportunities there to partner um, with the, the TMA, the Alameda TMA, which, which oversees that, uh, those residents' transit funds. Um, and what we really want to avoid is a situation where those northern waterfront developments, those communities abandon the AC Transit Easy Pass program and take their sort of what's becoming a growing budget that can supplement transit and t sort of opt out of AC Transit and try to proliferate like some sort of private shuttle, right? We, we think that would be bad for everybody involved. Um, the other priority development area, Alameda Point, is growing. It's, you know, got a lot of new new homes um, that have been filled in the last few years. There's also another thousand or so entitled. Um, of the line serving Alameda, line 96 ridership has rebounded the most since pandemic. Um, that line serves our lower income, many of our lower income families who also access services via uh, the line, including Village of Love, um, the food bank, and other social services. So again, we think we have an opportunity with those new developments and every tenant we have at Alameda Point Every employer out there also pays into um, transportation funding, which is designed to do things like buy easy passes, supplement service, the most you know, recent of which, obviously we talked about the water shuttle, but um, we think it's really core to sort of 
engage in this planning process with the TMA and the funding that might be available to, to try to increase that service. Um, because it's really, one thing that's really important for the city and for the community is um, that we get to 15 minute peak service on something like the line 96, um, which would unlock uh, affordable housing and sustainable communities grant funds, which are critical for Alameda to be able to deliver our affordable housing that we've envisioned, including like the, the reshape project to rebuild all the Alameda Point Partners um, housing that they've been living in that's in dire need of replacement. Um, elsewhere in the proposed scenarios, there are some complicated trade-offs. We're excited about the possibilities of a new crosstown service that the sort of frequent scenario line 20 would offer. It would, connecting Alameda Point to South Shore Center and making it so that you can have a one-seat ride from Bay Farm to Alameda Point instead of currently a three-seat ride um, is something that the community has been asking for. So we, th we do think that line would provide some real benefits for our lowest income neighborhoods. Um, and it's consistent with our transportation choices plan. It was envisioned with a different alignment and um, as maybe being a new line on top of existing service. Um, and, uh, but it comes at a little bit of a trade-off, right? As proposed, um, residents employees on Bay Farm or parts of Shoreline that currently can get to Park Street or Fruitvale Bart with a one-seat ride on lines 20 and 21 would be faced with potentially a transfer at South Shore Center to the new line 39 that would serve Park Street. So that could be a real significant impact. So we have to sort of you know, evaluate these, these things um, against each other. Um, on the 51A, we, we recognize that eliminating the transfer at Rockridge would help some number of riders. Um, but that line was split in half a number of years ago for a reason. It was in order to sort of improve reliability and avoid some of the worst bunching that used to happen. Um, and it seemed like it was successful. So we, we do have some concern that recombining that line and serving, um, extending it to, to downtown Berkeley might undermine some of those, some of those goals. So again, trade-offs, right? Um, and we just wanna be honest and, and really look at those things with our eyes wide open. Um, on the Transbay changes, eliminating the OX and extending the W to Bay Farm can create some efficiencies, but we're concerned that might impact West End riders who may find that when these new, more crowded O and W buses arrive on the West End, they might not have a seat for that Transbay ride. And if anyone's ever tried to ride a Transbay bus at freeway speed standing up, it's not something you, it's particularly um, enjoyable. So we, we have some concern there. Um, hopefully didn't get too far into the weeds there. I know it's a challenging subject to engage, um, and we're here to, to hear your input and answer any questions. Um, one thing I did want to just quickly acknowledge is uh, the compressed, you know, City Council will hear this item on December 5th, um, AC Transit Board on December 13th, and December 13th is also our when the first chance we'll have to get it in front of our own commission on persons with disabilities. So just want to acknowledge and highlight the the compressed outreach schedule there. Thank you. Thank you, thank you Brian. And I apologize for, um, we had talked about that. And just to reiterate the schedule as far as staff feedback needing to be ready to go into that city council meeting. And so part of the discussion this evening as far as clarifications or other feedback that you would like staff to incorporate into that feedback 
uh, should be done tonight if possible. And if you need to follow up, I would assume with um, emails or anything else on any other particulars that we don't cover tonight, you're welcome to do uh, via Lisa. So now I will take um, public comment Chair, first. Could I ask a clarifying question? You, you can, of, of Lisa, process-wise? Oh, for process, decline, yeah. Of course. Yes, no, so for process, the, it's fine. <laughs> a question for the two of you is just, you know, we, the TC, received a lot of um, email public comments that went into a lot of depth, and I'm just wondering if it is possible for thou, those emails to be shared with AC and just so folk and folks who may be giving public comments tonight just know that anything they've already sent to this body could also be shared with AC. So to, you know, yes. Um, in fact, we've already shared some of it with them, and then uh, I was, you know, after today planning to send whatever I think there might have been one or two since I shared with them and, and they said they will add it to their database of feedback so it's it's yeah it's happening thank, thank you. you yeah no, no no problem at all I was about to say clarifying questions we do sometimes with action items but we tend to mix clarifying questions with discussion on this board and so <laughs> to keep thank it clear. <laughs> I'm so, learning as I go. <laughs> so for that reason, I like us to have the benefit of, of public feedback first and then we can do both at the same time and hopefully answer those questions that we heard during public comment as well. So with that, are there any uh, comments or uh, public we do. comments? We yeah. have one person with a speaker slip in person and then Five so far hands raised on Zoom, so we'll have three-minute comments. Okay, let's starting go ahead and do in person first. What's that? Yes, starting with Eric um, Shamir. Thank you. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Eric Schottmeyer. Um, I live in Bay Farm Island here in Alameda, and I've been a daily trans AC Transit user since I moved to the East Bay in 1980. Uh, I also am a, a former transportation commissioner. I think it's still true that I have the longest tenure of any transportation commissioner in the history of the organization, 11 years. I, I started with the initial transit committee, committee. I had two city council people on the commission, and then when he created the transportation commissioner, I had eight years as a commissioner. Uh, two, two different mayors appointed me, and uh, a third didn't want me anymore, so I had to sit down. <laughs> It's so bad. I've been heartbroken ever since. Um, I, I um, as a daily AC transit user, I've uh, been concerned about um, the scenarios. I think we should make no mistake about it. Some of them include pretty drastic service cuts to Alameda, both in service hours and so on. And and one of the things that cut, I'm glad the staff member um, mentioned it. I live on Bay Farm Island. I think 90% of my trips are to either Park Street or the Fruitvale BART station. And that kind of a trip wouldn't be possible anymore. And I, I'm not the only one who rides that bus either. It's a, it's a frequently traveled bus. In my day, we were proud of the fact that we preserved 15 minute service along Park Street, uh, even, when, even in past service cuts. Uh, the 20 and the 21 provide that. The 21 and the 20 split currently and, and go different directions. But along Park Street, we had frequent service. And I'd hate to see that jeopardized too. Also, the OX used to carry local passengers. I think for the poorest of reasons, that practice was discontinued several years ago. But the OX that's running now is a shadow of what it was before, um, before COVID. Uh, you know, we had 10-minute service in the peak and um, uh, 
and it ran from about four o'clock in the afternoon till eight, eight in the evening, and now it runs from four till around six in the evening. Last one leaves San Francisco at 550. So it's, just, it's already a shadow of what it was before. Um, so those are my major personal concerns, but I think as advisors to policymakers, I would suggest that you might wanna ask about the assumptions that are being made in terms of future behavior, travel behavior. We all know that transit systems around the Bay Area are being impacted heavily by um, uh, the change in work behavior and in travel behavior. AC Transit isn't the only one facing that. But what are we, what's gonna happen in a year? What's gonna happen in five years? If we cut service back severely now, will we be ready to add it back when demand rises again? Before COVID, transit was in sort of a boomlet and, and, and we were turning people away from some services. If there's, we ought to hear from people about the assumptions they're making about whether those days will ever come back. I just don't think it's a good thing to cut service severely and then have to add it later on. Thank you. Okay, I have a few more things to say, but I'll, I'll Thank you, and thank you for your service on this commission. Thank you, we have uh, Joshua Hahn. Hi, good evening, commission and staff uh, for both the city and AC Transit. My name is Joshua Hahn. I live in Alameda Point, uh, and I'm also a member of the Alameda TMA. I wanted to voice my concerns about some of the differences I've noticed between the balanced coverage and frequent service scenarios for routes 19 and 20 through Alameda. On the one hand, I'm very much in favor of the proposed changes to Route 20 under the frequent service scenario. This change brings Route 20 a bit further west to serve residents at Alameda Point along Main Street, uh, which is an equity priority area, as mentioned by the staff member earlier. Um, and connects residents with this neighborhood directly to Alameda Landing and downtown Oakland in one direction, and then Webster Street and South Shore Center in the other direction. Uh, currently, this neighborhood is only served by Line 96, which goes no further east than the Webster Street, so it provides no one-seat trip for most of the uh, most of the city of Alameda. Um, I really do appreciate how Line 96 is also planned to serve the Brooklyn Basin neighborhood across the estuary in Oakland, which is currently a transit desert. And I know that's not Alameda, but I appreciate the change nonetheless. On the other hand, um, the frequent service scenario eliminates line 19, which currently connects Alameda Landing and Marina Village along Clement Avenue to Park Street and through Bill Bridge. Um, with all the new housing that's currently, that recently built, currently being built and soon to be built along our northern waterfront, I hope the city and, of Alameda can work with AC Transit to better serve residents of Alameda Point and our northern waterfront by finding a way to keep both line 19, ideally with more frequent 30-minute uh, service, uh, and make the proposed changes to line nine, uh, sorry, line 20 under the frequent service scenario. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Zach Bowling. Good evening, Zach. Thank you, Commission. Um, yeah, I just had a, a couple of comments. Um, I had to go through my notes because I think Brian McGuire touched on a good number of them and Josh Hahn touched on one of them. But, um, Right now, Alameda sort of lacks that true end-to-end, -end, and I'm looking at like the line F20 is sort of one possibility to sort of connect um, Alameda Point to Bay Farm, but it still lacks what we had with something like the line 78, which was canceled, unfortunately. Um, that gets us from all the way to the ferry service and connecting that again up all the way to Bay Farm. And given that this is canceling the OX and we're getting rid of another connection to um, uh, San Francisco. It's kind of a double whammy and how bad that hit us. Um, one of the issues that I have with the line 20 right now is because it does follow that southern 
route across the island. There's no real connection to the middle of Alameda. I live in central Alameda, so it doesn't really help anybody that lives along that route get to either Bay Farm or to um, uh, Alameda Point, especially because we're building more than we've talked about housing along the northern waterfront and Alameda Point, but also jobs or that's a job growth area in some ways. So it doesn't really help us reduce miles traveled for people that work in those areas. Um, I was also kind of looking at um, uh, the Line 96 changes, the Brooklyn Basin changes, which I'm glad that Brooklyn Basin's getting connected. That line's sort of interesting. It, it's good that it connects it to downtown Oakland and it connects Alameda Point to Alameda Landing and downtown Oakland, but somebody going to Brooklyn Basin probably has no reason to go to Alameda Point. They're not really connected, and it would maybe make more sense to sort of have that be two separate routes and then maybe increase the service for um, 96 within Alameda to connect it with other areas of Alameda itself. Um, on top of that, I just was going to echo line 51 was split. I had the same concerns. Brian McGuire brought it back up as well. Um, so I won't dive into that. But I, I'm more just kind of sad how the line 78 was killed during the, that point. I don't want to rehash it too much, but there wasn't much notice to Alameda citizens. The uh, BART board had, or the, the AC Transit board had just cut service to it. And watching that again, we <laughs> had no idea it was happening um, or based on some factually incorrect reasons. And I'm, I'm just hoping that we can lead with better data um, to come up with some of these decisions instead of uh, cutting service like that. But um, I had some of the comments, but I think everybody touched on them before and I don't want to just waste everyone's time rehashing things that have already been said. So I'm gonna leave it there. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, please. Valerie Wilson. Oh, oh. hi, Valerie. Sorry, here, I just, Let's see. There you go. Perfect. Um, yeah, good evening. I appreciate everybody here today. Um, so my name is Valerie Wilson, and I live on the east end of Alameda. Um, I'd like to second the earlier comments around the OS bus line. Uh, when, at least when I commute to San Francisco, it's standing room only on the bus. So it would definitely be a loss for commuters and my family. Uh, so I appreciate any reconsideration of removing that line. And then I also have a clarifying question about the OBUS line. It looks like the time frame on weekdays remains unchanged. Um, will it continue to leave up until 10 p.m. on weeknights? Because I continue to see riders around that time. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. We'll see if we can get that answered. All right. Now we have Ken Durr. Good evening, Ken. Oops. Yes. Thanks. Uh, good evening. My name is Ken. I am a longtime resident of the West End and a frequent AC transit rider. I generally favor the balanced coverage scenario since it mostly maintains the existing service network in Alameda. I am less in favor of the frequent service scenario, which discontinues line 19, as mentioned, and reroutes line 20, which prevents Bay Farm and South Shore residents from reaching an Oakland area BART station in a reasonable, reasonable amount of time. I'm also disappointed that neither scenario proposes service to the Seaplane Lagoon or the Main Street Ferry Terminals, and this really goes to the primary point I want to make tonight 
but I think neither scenario is really sufficient to meet the city's needs. We have over 5,000 new housing units on the way in Alameda and plenty of new housing already here. And so I'm very concerned about traffic on and off the island, particularly on the West End. As mentioned, Alameda has limited points of entry and exit. And now every day when I ride the 51A through the Posey or Webster tubes, I can always count on bumper to bumper traffic when that wasn't really the case before this summer. Tonight, I would like to ask the commission and AC Transit to investigate an additional bus line. And I've shared a route proposal with maps and a mock schedule as well as, as part of a written public comment tonight. This proposal, which I've called line 50, uh, combines four different route proposals that the city or AC Transit have discussed in the past into just one consolidated route. So this line 50 proposal would, one, be a ferry shuttle, like an all day version of line 78, Two, introduce 15-minute service to Site A and the Alameda Point Collaborative, which is why a Line 96X was approved in 2019, but never implemented. Three, a crosstown Alameda service that serves Bay Farm, as discussed in the Transportation Choices Plan, as well as Ensignal Avenue. And four, revive an Alameda shuttle concept. So that's four lines in one. And this potentially helps address many of the concerns of tonight's commenters. I understand that right now it is difficult to suggest a new line, particularly when AC Transit is facing tough financial and service decisions across the agency's reach. So maybe not now, maybe not even in August 2024, but can AC Transit, Alameda, and the TMA partner with the housing developers who not only add to our city's traffic, but are no doubt profiting from all of the building to fund something like a line 50 or other additional investments as we continue to grow and evolve as a city. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ken. Next speaker. Last one, um, Bennett Schatz. Good evening. Uh, good evening, Commission. Thank you for uh, talking about this step and taking time. Um, I just want to comment on two lines about the 51. I use the 51 A and B to get to Berkeley often, and I think the combination is good for taking a single seat ride, but I would just ask AC Transit to consider something like a 51 Express because as we experience with bunching, sometimes the 51 gets stuck and other, there's sort of a do-si-do -do happening. And I think that as somebody who does go to Berkeley often, the choice is either to take the 51 to BART, to ride through the tunnel to BART, or to take the 51 all the way. And it's just, there's not a great option, even though a one seat ride is preferable. Um, and then on the weekend scheduling around the O, you know, I use the O to go to work. I live on the West End. I use the O to go to work regularly and then use it to go into the city on the weekends. And I think cutting it to once an hour is really bad. I mean, ferry service is already diminished on the weekend. And so to have a single transit option to get from Alameda to San Francisco on the weekend being reduced to once an hour uh, is a real detriment to the city. And I would urge them to reconsider that. Thank you. Thank you, Bennett. That was the last speaker. Okay. Um, I'd like to open it up to the commissioners for both clarifying comments as well as discussion, but I wanted to, before getting into details about specific lines, just address one of the, or ask for one of the, the themes to be addressed because Alameda has, you know, we've been making up ground on meeting arena goals. We have a lot of high density housing going in. Uh, this body has asked a lot about uh, future population density and what exactly is being modeled 
for everything from uh, roadway improvements, and I think this falls in that category. Um, I saw the timeline on one of the slides earlier, and I guess the question is, um, do we have any information on what travel demand volumes were used in planning for our service specifically, and what growth model was used for those? And then a third question, that because this isn't really going into service until next year, what, I guess that's when the draft plan comes, the draft final plan comes forward, how long until we revisit that? Because I think we know that our, our uh, future of housing and projects is going to change substantially, even within the next decade. And so I would like to understand just for this service, when is that revisited? When do we have another bite at the apple to be able to see if it's working and if we're really serving the community enough to get the ridership that AC Transit ultimately needs to be able to manage the fiscal um, things that are going on. Um, so to your first question, I'd have to get back to you about the specifics, but we did use street light data for um, our modeling. So that's just using cell phone based GPS ping. So that's just general travel, not transit specific travel, just general travel um, based on cell phone data. Um, and then for how often we'll get to revisit this. So this plan will be, the goal is to implement by August 2024, but um, we generally make service changes four times per year. And sometimes those are as simple as just changing trip times a little bit, but they could also be something more substantial. So that is something we do regularly. So was there a growth model added to the streetlight data at all? I have to get back about, get okay. back to you about that. Okay. Were there any other clarifying questions that anyone wants on that topic? Just on the related. I just wanted to add, after we go back to the board with our full report in January, late January 2024, that'll be another opportunity for the public to comment and, and provide additional feedback on uh, the draft map proposal that we put forward. Okay. Commissioner Susanthira. Yeah, I had that question too, because in the slides it didn't quite say whether there will be another public outreach after the preferred scenario goes to the board. So That's correct, yes. There'll be another... Um, public engagement opportunity. Okay. Uh, my question, I don't know whether this you will consider as a clarifying, or, but uh, the big picture question is, uh, what spe specific or special consideration you gave in your assumptions being in Alameda being an island with specific, uh, with the limited entry and exit, and uh, given that uh, in the heart of the Bay Area, we have the most uh, development going, and so how did you um, consider that? And the special TMA being successful here, and city is making concerted effort to make sure that the new traffic that will be generated is having a major mode shift towards non-auto mode. So how did you fact factor that in, or did you consider that at all? So I think that's what Crystal said she was gonna get back to us on. And I think, is that right? Yeah. Um, I guess I would just add, and I'm sorry our slide deck didn't include line 19, but yes, it would be in the balance, no change, frequent, discontinued. Um, and then we, in drafting these scenarios, we, we based on all the, the ridership and the, the, the uh, street light data we were looking at, we tried to balance this out 
because we have a huge service area to cover, then anywhere we add service somewhere means cut somewhere else. And so that was something we tried to balance. But again, this, these are just proposals. We wanted to get people's feedback on these initial um, lines on maps and see what people thought. And so there is room for adjustment. Thanks. Commissioner Sitanthir, did you have anything else? Um, I did ask before that uh, the system-wide summary table be updated with the riders, um, you know, the ridership number for the respective scenario, so we get an idea of, you know, um, the difference in ridership in each scenario carries, so. Uh, I can provide current ridership along all the lines, but we didn't actually do any ridership modeling yet for any of the scenarios. Okay. That's helpful. Other comments, clarifications, discussion items, feedback? Commissioner Weinstein. <laughs> numerous comments. Hi, guys. Um, I'll start with, I guess, with a, I think are a couple of simple questions. Uh, has, I think this is simple. Has ridership fallen more in the outer networks? So you have these two different scenarios where we're trying to keep the network as big as possible, cover as many areas as possible versus this frequent service where you're kind of concentrating on core, core corridors. And so if you look as a, as a percent of loss, those lines that aren't doing nearly as well as they used to, have you seen that those outer scenarios, the ones way out there, that those fell off farther or they fell off less far in terms of stability of ridership? Do you mean like currently or what we're seeing, what we expect to see from these how about, scenarios? How about, how about both? <laughs> Currently, well, I mean, get, because we had to, because of the pandemic and because of our operator challenges, we had to make cuts in a lot of places. Like in Dalmeda recently, for example, Line 96, which used to operate every 30 minutes, um, in order to more to improve our service reliability and make sure we could actually operate all the all the um, buses that we said we're going to run on our schedules, we had to trim those headways back so instead of operating every 30 minutes we change it to every 32 and so because of that because of the service cuts we're making like 19 that was mentioned ridership just dropped off like um, pre-pandemic I don't remember what line 19 ridership was but currently it's operating an average of 200 people per day which is not very high yeah. and it is only operating hourly right now um, so just generally throughout the service area, we have seen drops in ridership, but um, like Maria mentioned during the presentation, we are seeing it steadily grow. Sure, sure. I guess, I guess what I'm asking though is like the, those core lines, mm -hmm. is the ridership more, is the ridership higher? Is it closer to the previous levels? Yes. I assume yes. And so you've actually seen a farther mm -hmm. drop off on those outer areas relative to the core areas as a percent of previous it, ridership. It kind of depends too on um, the purposes of these routes. Like I know the OX was mentioned a lot and oh. we brought the OX back. It hasn't been performing to pre-pandemic levels again because service levels aren't quite there, but okay. yeah. If I could just add, yeah, I, think, please. I think my, to, to your question, you know, I had a similar question and, and was looking at sort of comparing spring 2019 to to May 2023, which was sort of the closest apples to apples um, numbers I was able to look at. And just for the Alameda lines, um, it's interesting. I mean, I, I think the the line 51A was at, at in May, and it's gone up since then, was at 60% of pre-pandemic levels, whereas lines tw line 20, 70%. Line 21, 77%. Line 96 was at 90%, right? 
Line 19, different scenario with a drop in service so dramatically was only at 32% of the sort of 2019 numbers. But in a way, the, the trunk line is a little bit slower to come back. And maybe that makes sense because of commute, you know, work from home type patterns is one sort of hypothesis I had there. But interestingly, the sort of the, the local lines that are serving the sort of more disparate communities, maybe those, those sort of lifeline service, those riders are, seem to come back a little bit quicker, at least in Alameda. Okay. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, thank you. That was actually very helpful. Um, I have a couple more questions. We just can wanted, provide just the updated ridership, if you'd like, for, yeah, for the lines in Alameda. Yeah, that would be great. Um, I just want to clarify, the line F20 does not exist in the balanced scenario, correct? Correct. Um, the, the 20 in the balanced scenario would be no change. Okay. So as it is today. So the F20 would disappear, which would never appear in, the, in that scenario. Yeah. Okay. Um, I agree with many of the public comments in terms of trying to maintain transit. I think, though, it's also incumbent on this commission to try to engage with the merits of your case that there may need to be some cuts. And so I will play ball and let's talk through some stuff here. Um, can we put the maps back up that you guys were showing up on the screen? Can we go, sorry, can we go down to the next one? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good one right there. So I just want to clarify just clarify a few facts here. So then line 19 currently goes down Buena Vista. It doesn't go down Clement, right? No, so it, it goes, goes down Buena Vista. Yes. So Buena Vista is one, two blocks off of off the waterfront right now, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. And the proposed O would be on Santa Clara, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay. So the middle of the island is mostly single family homes if we get away from the waterfront. That's, mm -hmm. is that, does anyone disagree with that? That's probably mostly fair, right? Okay. So I guess if you had, if, <laughs> if you're trying to split the baby, uh, if you're trying to get enough coverage that the waterfront is still covered, which I think was addressed, was one of the main concerns of many comments, and we're trying to move transit towards greater density, is there a reason we wouldn't just move the proposed O a couple of blocks towards the waterfront, but not all the way to where you guys have, where the 19 currently runs? Because then you could just, you know, I, it's annoying. You gotta walk two blocks in a different direction, I get it. But I understand you may need to make cuts because of your budget. And so it seems like that helps because you get closer to the waterfront, you move away, unfortunately, but maybe realistically from the single family home corridor and get more coverage in the place that we're concerned about for the near future. So explain to me why you wouldn't wanna move that, especially because I know this commission, uh, a previous commissioner had talked an awful lot about like Lincoln Pacific as an obvious place for transit. So tell me why I'm wrong. Not wrong, that is something we could explore. I guess the only thing I would add is we don't have bus stops on Lincoln Avenue right now, and so that would just be a little bit more effort to make sure there's enough red curb for where the buses stop. Sure. And red paint's pretty cheap, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then it's, 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 it would probably be the parking loss is the concern. Sure, good luck. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, I'm gonna move on to a couple comments, but I, I would like you guys to at least think about that because I think it does sort of get at some of the concerns of the future of Alameda 
moving towards density while also maybe addressing some of your concerns about we just can't keep running as many, but people want to run as many buses as possible, I get it, but also money is not infinite. So uh, please do consider that. Um, there was a public comment about adding stops to the 96 as a possible thing. I will tell you I take the 96. Adding more stops is a bad idea, actually. Um, the 96 is frequently used to get from Alameda Point to Webster or to get from Alameda Point off the island. It's not, a sh it's not a quick trip now anyway. We have this completely insane loop that's happening out by um, Target, et cetera, that just adds an extremely annoying six, seven minutes, and it's one of the reasons the 96 probably isn't always the desired way to get off the island. So I would probably say that I do not agree with that public comment. Coincidentally, that's actually one of the greatest things about the proposed F-20. If we can go to the slide with the F-20. So historically speaking, even in my short history in Alameda, like the West End is kind of underserved with transit. I mean, we have one bus line, we have a bunch of housing coming, but even before a bunch of housing coming, we have one line, it's, it's a bit imbalanced, quite frankly. What's great right here about the F-20 is I understand this, correct me if I'm wrong, you could get on at Alameda Point, corner of Stargill and Maine, and you'd, you'd basically go right off the island, right? You'd go towards Oakland, so you wouldn't have to go all the way back down through Webster, you wouldn't, which you do now, there's no way to avoid it. You'd be able to get, which again is some of the things we're trying to promote here, we're trying to promote people being able to get off the island to jobs without having to take a car. And so what's nice about this is that straight shot down Stargill with all, all the intervene, with only a little bit of an intervening loop gets you off, great. Um, also the other direction for those people that need to get to Webster, like the 96 currently does, the 96 still does that. Also, this scenario, this version of the F-20 also does that, and it brings you to the other end of Webster. So we're not removing the ability of people at Alameda Point to get to Webster. So in my mind, frequent AC transit user on the West End, uh, the F-20 is a slam dunk, keeping in mind that the balance service does not even create the F-20, which personally is why I absolutely support uh, the frequent service scenario if that is the requirement for the F-20. Um, Last thing, I do think that the F-20, I think that that stop at Stargill in Maine, that little, sorry, that little corner, I don't know how obvious it is to people that don't live in the West, on the West End, but like that little sort of sharp 90 degree turn kind of up towards the estuary. Um, have, has there been any consideration to moving that stop a little bit more into Alameda Point? Um, the food bank is a couple blocks away out towards Alameda Point. APC is a couple blocks away. I think that if we're trying to serve um, populations that especially need transit. I understand that slows things down slightly, but it I would love a scenario. I would love to understand a scenario where we add two blocks in that direction and the two blocks back, which puts you more towards housing for people that need transit, puts you more towards the food bank, puts you more towards APC, all those things, but still covers a lot of the great, highly endorsed things the F20 does. And quite frankly, pairing that with my own opinions about what we should probably do with the 19 and moving the O, <laughs> I think you can probably fit those things together. So thank you for your consideration. I appreciate it. Thank you, Commissioner Whitesey. Other comments, questions? Um, thank you, Chair. Um, what, is, what is the financial forecast? I mean, is it looking, I mean, that, that's the, um, seems like that's the elephant in the room, maybe not an elephant, but does it really look? Uh, we don't have, dollars assigned to all these scenarios yet. 
so this this is for balance and frequent scenarios. This is based on um, our financial projections going current and and going forward. Um, however, in 2025, we will face a fiscal cliff and we'll need additional operating dollars. Okay. And when you, when the district cuts lines, what happens to those coaches? Do you keep those coaches in, in your fleet or do they have to, what, what's, what's, what's the protocol for that? For the buses, I yeah. would have to follow up with our, our head of maintenance, but um, yeah, I'd have to follow up on that. I can get you that answer offline. Yeah, I'm just, yeah. I, I remember years ago, Chris Peoples talked about sometimes when you have cut lines, you don't, you can't, it's not cost efficient to keep the coaches. So when things are going well and there's goal at the end of the rainbow and you want to bring these lines back, you don't have the coaches to do that because they're gone from the fleet. So I don't know if that's still the, 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 the scenario or, or if that's still the sort of the, the, the... I'd have to check. I'm not sure if we sell off our, our fleet if we're not using it at full capacity. Okay. And then my final question, I was the, the, one of the uh, speakers that called in, um, when I look at the district and y your major lines like um, San Pablo Avenue with the 72s, mm -hmm. International Boulevard, that's gone from the 1 to the R to the BRT. Where does the 51 ridership compare to that? Because you're talking about going from Fruitvale through Alameda, through the Tube, Chinatown, downtown Oakland, Tech. I mean, it's just, it's a, it's a, it seems to me that would be considered one of the most frequent corridors for the district. And I know there's, there's financial restraints, but has there ever been thought about maybe making a rapid for that route? Because that's a, the 51 is a, it, it is a long haul. Senior centers, yes. schools, I mean, I ride it all the time. It is getting through the tube, Chinatown, it is, it is a, it's a beast. Yes, yes, it is. Um, well, we want to hear your feedback. We want to hear feedback from, from residents in Alameda to see what works best for them and for okay. you. Mm -hmm. um, we, in terms of building a rapid corridor for just for the 51 route, uh, I don't think we have any plans to do that at this time. But No, I didn't think yeah. so, but I just, I'm thinking about in terms of frequently, the, the most frequently used arteries in the district. I would imagine 51 has to be right up there with the 72 in the in the tempo it has to be right high there yeah. high ridership so I'm, i was just curious about that so um yes yeah we're we're trying to make it work for everyone i'm trying to put you on the spot i'm just yeah. trying to, you know, <laughs> no it was a good question that. thank you yeah so, um yeah. and we want you know we want to hear your feedback so thank you very much yeah okay so i'll stop talking about my other did you anything else commissioner johnson no 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 good commissioner dara abrams well, um, thank you all. Also, thanks to uh, public commenters. I think it's been really robust conversation. Um, just a couple clarifying questions first. I was wondering if I could ask um, staff, maybe Lisa or Brian, um, I know this, the city does now um, replaced its, sh sh its um, shuttle with AC transit passes. And so I'm wondering if the city has any specific concerns around um, access for seniors in Alameda. I, I can't say I know, you know, popular destinations, but, you know, there was a, you know, that is 
presumably the way that Alameda residents access the city's senior center. So I'm just curious to hear if there are any concerns that have been identified or if not to just plant a seed there if that is a specific population that's worth considering. Um, I mean, it's certainly a consideration. Our, our free AC Transit bus pass program for seniors and people with disabilities is, is going very well. We have a lot of people participating, taking a lot of rides. And we want to make sure that they have good service. Um, so thank you for putting that pin in. Thank you. Okay. Thanks, Lisa. Um, if I could ask uh, a clarifying question for the AC folks on the, the, the Route 39 um, that runs through Fruitvale. I know maybe this is an operational detail, but um, is the, I know for some of the routes currently, Fruitvale Station is like a layover. And so through travel from, I only know this, one of my colleagues works up, up in East Oakland. And so the experience is a single seat, but timing wise it uh, travel to and from Alameda is impacted. So I'm just curious to hear if if that would continue or if those are details to be resolved later. Yeah, so some of the changes we had made are to resolve these layover issues. Fruitvale BART is a, is a station where we have a ton of layover challenges because the area is so constrained and we have so many buses going through there. And so that's why some of these proposals have um, the lines extending and, for example, um, extending into South Shore Center rather than just terminating at Fruitvale BART. Um, so we don't have to make layovers at Fruitvale, and then we can improve service for others. Uh, okay, so the experience could be yeah. mm -hmm. on and off. Mm -hmm. Great, I'm glad to hear that. Um, okay, and then the one final thought I wanted to offer is, you know, I get the benefit of going a little late in this conversation, as you know, it's probably what often happens is the, the, the high frequency scenario just gets a lot of of feedback because it makes changes and it makes changes against a fixed budget and a lot of hard trade-offs. And um, I've been nodding so much to all the folks saying, well, if we had a few more service hours, let's do this, let's do this. <laughs> and yes, that would be fabulous, but I know that's not the job you all have been tasked to do for that scenario. Um, the one th um, thought I wanted to offer is that in terms of the high frequency scenario, I know a decent number of service hours are being put towards what is the city of Alameda's or some a long running through line for the city of Alameda planning documents of travel from Bay Farm to Alameda Point. I, I want to voice a bit of skepticism about that being that this being the right timing for that. Um, you know, we can see we can see so much possibility there at at both ends. Um, I, I would just, you know, uh, suggest more analysis of where are the employers currently, where's the retail currently. Um, we have heard a lot of comments around where people do live and it's important to serve them. But, um, you know, I just wonder if there are some service hours that given this, your limited budget, could be better allocated towards serving the travel as it exists currently towards employers in Oakland, towards BART, um, towards residences, but that this vision of Alameda Point as, a, as the end of the line that truly has um, 
travel to and from, even as far away as Bay Farm. I just wonder if next year is the year when that's there or if it's five years from now. And so I would just offer that as maybe a place for some tighter analysis around the high frequency scenario. So thank you very much. And I'm really pleased with everything that's been articulated and all, and all the trade-offs that are being articulated. Thank you for your comments. Thank you. Commissioner Whitesey. Sorry, I just wanted to jump in and I think that Drew has it correct. I think that it's really easy to get obs obsessed about Bay Farm to Alameda Point because it's like an idealized scenario for the future of Alameda. And I agree that looking at that as like, we should do this now. I just do not know how many people make that trip or would make that trip by transit in the very near future. So I'm, I'm agreeing with you. I think it's like a great vision of that, but I also don't think that, I just don't think there's that many people that do that right now. I think that there's anecdotal stories, but I don't think there's a lot of people that make that full island trip. I also wanted to follow up with one thing because I think it is implicit in a lot of this conversation, but I just wanted to, I guess, make it a little more explicit. Um, a lot of the conversation has been about like, well, we need buses to get to San Francisco and you're changing the service, so you want to change the service and that's the bus that all these people take. Man, let me tell you something, WIDA did a great job. You can get to San Francisco in, no offense guys, the most popular transit service uh, in the Bay Area right now. And so it seems like we did all these great things to make ferry service to the SF popular, effective, affordable, they dropped prices. And so I just wanted, I wanted the commission to sort of keep that in mind that that's another scenario that people can use to get off the island and in fact has been super effective. So we, it's the buses maybe are diminished in importance for that particular thing. It, yeah, there's, that seems obvious to me. With all due respect, I sure, think you, you, should, you should talk to Gail uh, <laughs> at, the, at the city. She, I think she'd argue that the MCI buses, the transit buses are her favorite way to get to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not arguing favorite or not, but I'm arguing popularity right now with the vast majority of people. I mean, weed is, weed is way up from what I can tell and everyone else seems, are way up relative to a lot of other transit services and the city has done a fantastic job making that option happen. And I think we should acknowledge that like buses can become a lesser part of getting to San Francisco from Alameda because we created a huge network that, that does a good job. So I'm trying to put less pressure on you guys, not more pressure, because I think there's it's okay to it's okay to give over some of those riders to that system given that that system is popular and effective. I would um, put the pressure back on for mode connection. <laughs> 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 And I, I'm sorry, I left my, some of my papers at home, so I'm going to have to email you some of my specifics, Lisa. But the, um, the ferry terminals and the frequency versus balanced, I don't disagree with the, the crosstown's a beautiful idea. We all want it very, very badly. I wish we just had a little trolley that just went back and forth all day. Um, but we really have to be looking at max number of riders taking the max trips at the max times for the fiscal cliff to be challenged at all. And that's kind of why I was asking about revisiting the frequency of service because I think that in five years, we're gonna know a lot more for something that was never really modeled. Um, some things are coming back really, really fast and other things are not coming back at all. People are walking less, they're biking less and that, that was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. Um, so I will provide additional comments in writing, but I do appreciate you guys striking the balance. And I, we know it's we know it's difficult. And I think you hear the 
compassion and the appreciation for transportation planners dealing with this right now. Commissioner Suthanthir, did you have something else? Go ahead. Yeah, initially what I mentioned was the high-level um, clarifying comments, um, and then I do have a few um, little specific comments that I want to raise. And uh, Did you go through the comments I sent in email? Um, were you able to get some any response? So would you like us to respond via email back to you in writing, or did you want to ask those questions No, tonight? it's okay. If okay. you are able to respond to that, um, uh, that will be fantastic. Yes, um, yes. Because one of them is um, to provide um, uh, or include the ridership for each um, scenario. And you did say that it's not, you didn't forecast, but you know, it's really important how many people you serve. And any of, because I did, I was involved in modeling and um, I know any future planning you do for that plan, you do need to forecast and then say, tell what is the beneficiary number, right? You have to quantify the benefit. And uh, in, this is even more important because we are looking at, you, you yourself say the numbers are um, like, you know, higher number of riders are disadvantaged population. And then we have all the more responsibility to provide the number. So we can compare, you know, how many people in the existing scenario versus how many we are looking to serve. And, um, and in that circumstance, we can, you know, look at like who we are not really covering, right? So. Um, I would really encourage, or I would request you to um, add that number um, and uh, let us know what the ridership is, especially with Alameda being an island with, uh, you know, limited entry and exit. And of course, we may have a connection to San Francisco, but you know, to the rest of the Bay Area, um, people, some people do really depend on um, bus transit. So. Um, one other, um, you know, a couple of other points is, um, a 51 Express to Fruitvale, I do like, I mentioned before, like I do like the one seat ride, but you can clearly hear that um, from the comments received. Um, express service um, is, uh, you know, people are seeking for um, express routes, so a consideration for that would be great. Um, one question I have is, do you even thinking about adding micro transit option somewhere, you know, where uh, you are cutting service and there is like, a um, transit desert, um, are you considering any micro-transit options? Um, yes, in some of the scenarios we have, we are considering a micro-transit option in Warm Springs out in Fremont. Oh. <laughs> Nothing in Alameda, and we are considering in other areas in our unconstrained scenario, like in Richmond, um, Castro Valley and Hayward, and Warm Springs, but yes, nothing in Alameda. Okay. And um, in, in very high level, big picture, any of these scenarios when you move into the implementation, are you thinking of a pilot option um, for any of the routes? I think it's important to note that this is something that AC Transit evaluates every few years. So we're always um, doing a realign of sorts. So it is now it's it's kind of um, past due, and we're and since it's post pandemic, the travel patterns have changed, the way people ride the bus have changed, and use public transportation in general. Um, so this is something that we're constantly evaluating um, and checking in on our ridership and and ourselves to make sure that we're accountable to our customers. I know. I mean, this is also kind of an overhaul given the conditions. I can I can understand and again, again we appreciate um, um, like our chair mentioned. You know the the effort you have done and it is very um, involved. We can see that the challenge um, you know the transportation planners are facing, especially transit. 
And so one other specific question is like, uh, in you are removing or proposing to remove OX, but uh, then extending W, um, what's the difference in features? Well, the reason we're proposing to discontinue the OX is simply because it's so low ridership. Um, and then in terms of the coverage, it'll still be, the areas will still be covered. Everywhere that's being lost by OX will still be covered by the O and the W. And then just, yeah, it's just low ridership and it requires an extra bus. And then really the, the reason we cannot increase more service is not even so much funding as it is an operator shortage. We just don't have the operators available to up the service levels. Okay. Um, and um, it's, it is disheartening to see no service connecting to the ferry terminals and uh, the West End where you have the EPC area and uh, the most uh, needed, uh, needy people um, you know, that need bus transit. So um, I'm kind of surprised to see that big gap, um, you know, in, in service extension. I hope um, AC Transit will revisit and provide a connection over there. Um, and it's connecting to BART station, um, Fruitvale BART, uh, that's, um, you know, that's been talked about. So I want to reiterate that. And uh, I think uh, those are my comments. And uh, I would appreciate the public comment, which is really extensive, and it's amazing about the comparison and uh, the scenarios some people have drawn. And uh, it's, uh, in, you know, they are the ones using the transit, so you want to really take it seriously. So, um, and uh, um, I appreciate uh, Lisa forwarding those comments, and uh, you are taking a look at it. And, and I, one, I'd, finally, um, I think I did ask, um, do you have any numbers of um, the engagement from the Alameda, the, the public engagement um, that you have done in a you know, public outreach you have done in Alameda and what kind of numbers you got, uh, number of comments or number of attendees or something like that? Do you have any numbers for that? Yeah, so not yet is the short answer. We are gathering uh, feedback and input from everyone in our, our service area. And um, we hoped, we're, I mean, right now, just within the first week, our project website had more than 10,000 views. Um, the interactive page received more than 5,000 views within the first couple of days. And comments are coming in through multiple locations. We don't have all the information to provide that data to you right now, but we hope to in the future. Okay, it'll be, it'll be helpful for the, you know, the respective cities to just to understand the you know the citizens involvement from our city that's what it is so, yeah. yeah thank you thank you commissioner sukanthira yeah lisa may i ask a question how do people submit comments on the interactive map i haven't noticed the interface having an obvious button for the feedback yeah. so I was, for the benefit of the people who we still have 26 people listening oh, wow. okay um there. and yeah yeah, there are platform, the platform, I don't remember, I can't walk you through step by step, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have that, but I know there's the ability to make those comments. Um, there is also an email that those comments can be sent to, if that's easier. There's a, there's a, a direct feedback form on, on the Realign page as well, actransit.org forward slash Realign. If you scroll down the web, on that web page, um, you can see the interactive maps. And you can also see it says um, give feedback. We also have this information on the website in multiple languages. That's 
uh, English, Spanish, and Chinese. And I am looking at the interactive map right now to see, And it's freezing, so I'm going to have to get back to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for trying, Maria. <laughs> Other comments or feedback or discussion items? All right, as I said, you can follow up. We've heard about how to submit public comments for all the members of the public. You can email the city. You can go to the Realign page. So with that, thank you again for your time and your presentation and the work that you're doing. We do appreciate it. And I will close out agenda item 6A. Chair Souls, before we close out, I just want to let you guys know process-wise what the next step is. We're working on a, a memo to add to the city council item that is for the December 5th, um, their December 5th meeting. That, that agenda is posting early because of Thanksgiving. So if, if you want to send us anything specific that you would like added to that, please send it by the end of the week. Otherwise, I will do my best to capture what we heard today. Thank you, thank you, Lisa. So the staff report's going early. In the packet, the What's that? Going, you said the packet's going early, so the staff report's. Right, the okay. staff report's been in the system forever, but we can, are adding an attachment. Gotcha. Um, and, and it'll publish, the whole agenda publishes early because of Thanksgiving. Okay, okay, yeah. thank you. So we'll do that quickly. All right, thank so you. To use the interactive map and comment directly, you can just go to the actransit.realign uh, actransit.org forward slash realign, scroll down, go to the interactive map, you click on a specific line or area, and then there's a, a blue uh, check mark in the right corner where the line is identified, and you click on that, and then it'll open up the ability to, to comment. And you just fill, you just a form, you fill in your information and what you like and what you don't like. Awesome. So thank you very much for having us tonight. Thank you. Have a good evening. And that closes out 6A. Thank you, guys. And we'll open 6B, which is a discussion on the transportation performance metrics. This is the overview and work of the um, of our performance measures of what's going into our planning and our reporting and our evaluation. So Rochelle, take it away. Hi. Good evening, Chair Souls and Transportation Commissioners. I'm Rochelle Wheeler, Senior Transportation Coordinator and I'll be presenting this item tonight, which is for discussion. Um, I'll give you an overview of the, the memo and the staff report that was in your packet. Um, so we're beginning a comprehensive review of our existing transportation performance measures, metrics, and targets, identifying the need for additional metrics and targets, all in order to track the effectiveness of our transportation investments over time and set targets to work towards. Um, uh, as I'll present tonight, we're aligning these with our um, general plan mobility element um, for goals. Um, and after taking feedback um, tonight from you, we will um, do a, um, we will work with a consultant to help to develop this work and to develop these transportation measures and metrics. And we would definitely be coming back to this group for further input once we've engaged with the consultant. So this is really early, early stages here. Um, next, I think I can do it right here, right? Yeah.
Great, okay. So just for background, our um, adopted general plan does have an action to provide comprehensive citywide monitoring of the transportation system for all modes. Um, we've been doing that through our annual report, which we've been doing for several years, and right now it's reporting on about 20 different performance measures. Um, these are, um, some of these are just really data points. Um, they're not necessarily metrics. They're, we don't have targets for everything. Um, and as we were developing the Vision Zero, I mean, sorry, the Active Transportation Plan, we started seeing that we needed um, to kind of take a more comprehensive look at citywide all of our transportation um, kind of analysis of how we're doing, how effective we are, rather than just looking at kind of more mode specific. Uh, over the past few years, we've had three plans that have gotten developed that have really specific transportation performance measures metrics and or targets. That includes our climate action and resiliency plan. I'll be referring to that tonight as the CARP. Um, our Vision Zero Action Plan, which we, um, I've never called it the VZAP, but maybe I'll start that tonight. Um, no, Lisa says no. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> but you will see that acronym VZAP and then the Active Transportation Plan or the ATP. Um, uh, so we um, are framing this review of developing performance metrics, as I said, around our four mobility element goals, uh, which are equity, safety, choices, and sustainability. And um, just to step back for a minute, um, we are thinking of performance me metrics as ways that are taking, kind of comparing two data points to look at effectiveness of our transportation system. So not just ridership, but maybe ridership over time or um, investments in a certain area, not just number of investments. Um, and then we're also looking at potentially looking at having targets. Um, in some cases, we have some of those like goals that we want to meet, basically. So just defining some, um, some, uh, yeah, just de de defining our terms. So I'll start with equity. Um, that's the first um, goal in the mobility element. Um, and that is defined here and in, 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 in the overview memo. Um, to date, I would say this is an area where we've done less work um, in terms of developing performance measures. This um, commission did approve us using the community BCDC, BCDCs or the Bay Conservation Development um, Commission's community vulnerability map for looking at where our equity priority areas are. So we have um, used that and in fact our Vision Zero action plan and our ATP do have measures um, for looking at um, safety and active transportation improvements in our equity priority areas um, and also looking at traffic stops by race. Those are existing measures in those. Um, but we don't have more than that and so we really want to dive deep into this area um, with this effort and with this um, consultant work scope to look at what other metrics do we need around equity for our city to be measuring how we're doing. And so we have some questions for you here. You can start thinking about them now. We'll come, I think we can come back to these at the end of the presentation, but you know, what equity metrics would the commissioners like to see? What would be most meaningful to track? And any other input you have on this topic? For the safety um, goal, um, that uh, we were, this one is pretty robust because we have our Vision Zero Action Plan uh, that has 10 performance measures. 
um, that is being as of this year um, was the first year that the annual report was made on the progress towards those performance measures. We also have have done quarterly crash numbers, which um, Lisa uh, reported on tonight that those have been posted. Um, so we really feel like the the recommendation here is just continue what we've been reporting on, and that on this area we would not try to develop new measures since we feel like, as I said, this is fairly robust. Um, the next goal um, is is a pretty wide. Um, wide-ranging one in the in the mobility element and that's the it's called the choices goal um, and we're looking at this as transportation choices and kind of mode shift performance metrics and um, this we're dividing into three different areas which are one mode shift active transportation is a second and then transit so I'll talk about each of those so um, really the best measure for tracking mode shift or you know how many how much are people moving away from cars and into other modes would be to look at vehicle miles traveled, which is the total number of miles traveled by all motor vehicles in a specific area over a specific um, uh, or a certain pe period of time, that's usually a year. So ultimately we'd wanna see that number going down um, even when our population is increasing. We'd wanna see vehicle miles traveled going down in order to both reduce polluting emissions and also the negative impacts of um, vehicles such as on safety. Um, but a key challenge here is that really at the citywide level, we do have a, a lack of that kind of data. So um, that's just kind of framing this question of mode shift and how we've been thinking about it. Looking at to work that we have done um, in 2018, this is the transportation choices plan was adopted. Um, and much of the work we're doing now is implementing um, the 39 projects that were identified, projects and programs that were identified in this plan, projects such as Central Avenue, um, implementing the Estuary Bridge Crossing, the Water Shuttle, um, Clement Avenue, safety. Most of those projects are in this transportation choices plan. And what that plan really did was looked at if we do all of those projects um, by 2030, we would expect to meet these two goals. Um, and um, this was measured very specifically, as you can see. Um, one was the goal for estuary crossings. So um, that was that by 2030, if all of those projects are implemented, we would decrease drive alone trips across the estuary in the morning peak um, by increasing non-drive alone trips basically by 12 points. So that would be increasing. Um, and then. Then we looked at a goal for within the island, and so that goal was um, to increase the share of walking, biking, transit, and carpooling trips in Alameda um, by five percentage points, um, and that's at, by decreasing non-drive alone trips. So those two goals, the idea is if, again, if we implement all of those projects and programs is that we could meet those. Uh, we have not um, measured how close we are um, and tried to replicate the analysis that was done to develop these goals. So um, you'll see that's something that we're recommending we look into now since this is, um, uh, what are we, uh, five years out from, from that plan being adopted. Another area that we have done some work to date is the CARP or the Climate Action and Resiliency Plan um, does have three transportation goals that are focused on mode shift. Um, and that's reducing commute uh, VMT or vehicle miles traveled via telecommuting. 
um, building additional bike lanes, uh, and expanding the AC Transit Bus Pass program. So um, that, those are some performance measures that we already have. We also have in terms of looking at you know, changes in how people are getting around, another way to do that is by looking at count data and counting the number of cars, the number of bicycles, um, ridership on AC Transit. Um, things like that. So we do have some data points like that. Um, some of them are a little more comprehensive than others. The city as a whole has not done a citywide um, count in, in quite a long time, over 10 years, and that is something we would be interested in doing and also collecting speed data as well. Um, right now, what is underway is um, perhaps this commission has heard, but the CARP is going to be updated um, starting in the next few months. That update is starting to, to and part of that review will look in, we'll be looking at the plan's performance measures and really trying to refine them and make them more um, uh, specific and, and um, easier to track. So a recommendation here for mode shift um, is to um, focus on determining the best way to measure mode shift in Alameda, kind of have thrown out some different ideas of what we're doing, uh, revisiting the two goals, those two goals that I mentioned in the transportation choices plan, um, seeing how we're doing towards meeting those goals, uh, determining if it's feasible for the city to use VMT as a metric, and if so, collaborating with the CARP update on, on what that metric should be. Um, for active transportation, um, the active transportation plan, which was adopted last December, has 16 performance measures and targets. Um, where there's existing reliable sources, we have baseline data included, um, and target years are also noted. Um, so the first annual report on that, on those measures, will be um, done uh, for 2023, so you'll be seeing that early next year. Um, our recommendation here, again, since we already have many measures and we just did a thorough process, is not to add new measures or try to find new ones, but really to focus on refining those that we have um, as TBD that need more analysis in order to be um, developed in terms of what those, um, not, not the measure itself, but what the, um, what the targets would be or what the baseline is as well. Um, for transit, um, we have uh, in our annual transportation report, which this commission receives, um, we have been reporting on ridership trends um, both for AC Transit, WIDA, and for our own city paratransit program. Um, and then also um, the CARP does have that strategy to expand the free transit pass program. Um, our recommendation here is to look at developing performance metrics and targets for transit efforts that are under the city's control. Um, we um, don't feel we can um, develop targets for AC Transit as much as we might like to. So um, uh, yeah, that would be the goal there. Um, some questions for you guys on this one are thinking about what types of transit efforts which are under the city's control should we be creating metrics or targets for? Um, that could be something such as you know bus benches like related to something like that that we do have control over or bus shelters. Um, should the city report, uh, another question is should the city report or focus on additional transit performance measures uh, not targets, but related to bus bus travel, um, such as perhaps travel times for buses across Alameda or in key commercial corridors. Finally, the last um, um, uh, goal in the mobility element is the sustainability goal. 
Um, and this addresses greenhouse gas reduction as well. Obviously, the CARP um, is um, very focused on this and that already they're reporting on electric vehicle ownership, electric vehicle charging stations, electrification of the city fleet and telecommuting. And that update that I mentioned of the CARP, we'll be looking at those again and reevaluating these and updating those performance measures. Um, the transportation annual report that we do already do includes some data on car, sh car sharing um, and the usage of car sharing in Alameda. Um, so via that car, our recommendation here is, you know, obviously the, the CARP update would be further developing those existing performance measures that they have. Uh, we also, in looking through this goal, find that there are not measures around mic micromobility, clean transit vehicle adoption, and carpooling. So those would be things we would want to look at. And then we'd want to look at um, if we would want to develop targets as well. Some overall questions just to think about for this whole project really are, when you think about you know, performance, like what are some of the questions that you'd like us to be able to answer with this performance monitoring? Um, that can help us to think about what the data points are that we would want to be looking at. Um, what level, and also thinking about trade-offs here in terms of the more time that we spend on collecting and analyzing data, um, which can be super fun to do. Um, we also know that data sources are imperfect and that this work can sometimes take away from the work of actually implementing projects and programs and, um, uh, you know, staff time is always limited and there are trade-offs, so just kind of hearing any perspectives on that could, would be useful. And then are there any other, we've talked about these metrics in the form of these four goals, but are we missing anything with that um, or any other areas we should be considering? So just to give an overview um, to wrap up of what we'll be working with a consultant on, uh, we'll be taking the input um, from you all to develop uh, work scope and to develop direction. Uh, right now what we see that as being is kind of doing a review of what our existing performance measures are, um, looking at relevant data that we have um, from other cities and transit agencies, kind of other people besides the city, or what, data, what data is there available. Um, developing a best practices memo for cities of a similar size to Alameda so we can look at um, what comparable cities are doing. Um, and then recommending a package of these performance metrics and targets and it would be focused as I've talked about in, in terms of the recommendation, which of course we wanna hear from you guys on, um, building on our existing plans, not trying to duplicate the efforts we've already done. Um, and then finally, um, we would like um, to work with a consultant on a data collection plan to help us to understand um, how to collect data starting, um, you know, kind of baseline data and future year data and assist us with the implementation of that. We're thinking probably in the 20, kind of starting next year and, and extending into the year after that. So with that, I'll wrap up and I'm happy to take any questions and, and also to hear your input. Thank you. Thank you, Rochelle. Uh, again, this is a discussion item, but we have some very specific questions to answer. So I think we'll get into the meat of that um, after public comment. So if it's all right, I'd like to go ahead and entertain any public comments that we have first. We have no hands raised at the moment. If anybody on Zoom would like to speak, if you could um, raise your hand, your Zoom hand. Do we have any KPI experts out in the audience? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unless it's bad. 
I think we don't have any public okay. comment on this. All right, thank you. We'll close public comment and open up to, um, and we may need those slides of those questions if we want to go through this. And I know I, we, we talked about having the questions consolidated, but I think going back to both the recommendations and the slides, and if we want to use that as some structure for the discussion, that may be helpful so we're not bouncing all over the place. Um, but feel free to weigh in where you'd like. So that would start us off with equity. Um, I'll open up the floor first before offering my comments. Does anyone have any recommendations or things that you would like to see as far as performance measures related to equity? Commissioner Whitesey. I organize my notes entirely differently, so I'll do my best to fit, th oh, fit no. this. Maybe no, no, it's fine. It's format. good. No, 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 it's fine. I think I fit this in. I think this is right. Um, so one of the equity measurements was uh, traffic stops by race. And I was curious about traffic stops by age, if that's been something that's been considered, and if not, why? Um, here, actually, you know. I've been sitting for a while. I'll stand up. This will be my standing desk. Um, we hadn't considered traffic stops by age. Um, I would be interested to hear what about that. What my um, justification is for that? Yeah, yeah, what, what is. Um, there's probably a well-known phenomenon. I could speak to it personally, having been a young person that was a driver, that young people do tend to drive uh, more poorly and we all mellow out as we get older. And so I think when we look at uh, why people are stopped, if there was a bias towards younger people being stopped, that would be interesting information to have to ask, you know, why are certain pullovers happening? What does it tell us about the greater overall data set? And are we seeing a bias based on age? Or are we seeing a bias, the other way to think of it is are we seeing a bias towards that is actually worse behavior by that, by younger people? And so it would be good to sort out that data relative to the other things we look at. Well, thank you for the input. I can. Yeah, consider that. One thing that, um, you know, APD has a new crime analyst, and so she has brought capabilities that they did not have in the past. And one thing they have started to do for uh, traffic stops by race is to compare it to um, collisions by race. The assumption being that, that you know, you're more likely a lot of collisions get reported so that there would be less bias with that because mm -hmm. that you know so and what they said to me was that they are finding that it they it's matching up pretty well um but i haven't actually looked at that yet and and might be able to incorporate something like that into division zero annual report instead of just flat re reporting the the performance metric that's in the vision zero action plan which is just traffic stops by race there, there i just because I, I know nothing about this there's no fundamental legal reason why we could not collect that data on tra with traffic stops, correct? We could just ask that question when there's by a traffic age. stop by age. There's, there's um, no, no. Yeah, yeah, it's aggregate data. I think one of the things that would help inform this conversation, because I can't remember if it's the same subset of factors for equity priority communities um, that MTC uses, but there's, when we, because when we, equity means a lot of different things to a lot of people. So when we say EPCs, what we're talking about is a specifically factored community that was run through a formula and took into account people of color, low income, 
uh, elderly, rent burdened, single parent households, and I'm missing one. No, um, persons with disability. So when I think about performance metrics, they should align with those factors. Um, I think the, the hard part about quantitative KPIs around equity is that we're, we're trying to not just be equal but really redress inequities that are historically, um, have been systemic problems for a long time. And so what I would suggest is, and maybe you'll have to look at the data collection to see what's available, but things like are we increasing ridership across those different demographics equally? Because if we're not, or we're not increasing them more for people that would fall into EPC census tracts or zip codes, then we're not improving equity. And to me, the metric is that we should always be improving. And even if we don't have initial benchmarks of what the opportunity is along our bus lines or with our ferry service, that being able to look at those demographics comparatively as we change service, increase amenities, increase safety, um, along with the traffic stops, I would be interested in experiences of um, insecurity or violence on transit lines and the demographics of, of people who use transit, since we know that that has been an issue um, on our other transit systems. So I think that's one. And maybe these are more monitoring metrics, Rochelle, versus trying to hit a hard target because one of the four pillars of equity programs is continuous improvement. So you never hit a target. You should always just be working to be better. Um, so to me, those would be meaningful. And again, we're dealing with you know data that's private and how we get it can be difficult. I don't know if there's stated preference surveys for some things or other ways to be able to incorporate that into our other data gathering or surveys when we go out for projects, but that would probably be another one of who's coming to our public meetings to look at and comment on, who's filling out our surveys, and are we really working to um, reduce the barriers and incentivize people that unfortunately have the burden, a harder burden to represent themselves in these conversations? Um, and what are we doing to, to overcome those, those barriers to make that perspective brought into the planning process more impactfully and thoroughly? So I know that's not a really clear answer, but I think this one is a really, it's a squishy one. I think a lot of agencies are dealing with it, and um, I appreciate that it's, I know these aren't ranked, but I appreciate that it's first on the list. <laughs> Other. Commissioner Susan Thera. It is a very difficult one to measure per se. I don't know whether that term is even correct to say that we are measuring. But again, like uh, Chair said, it's always you know making an improvement. One option you could think of is um, you know the EPC areas. 
um, out of the our next level is the PDAs. Um, you can I, I, when it when you really focus on equity, it should be kind of the EPC area, uh, as uh, identified by MTC. Uh, it's it's do we have it in the West End, right? What I'm trying to get is what improvement they feel or they have seen. So you just um, taking a survey, right? Finding out um, over time how they feel um, they are provided service with and. Uh, and and if you, even if you go to the PDAs, probably you know surveys identifying their um, some of their characteristics that qualifies them to be uh, you know that will tell us how equitable our services are you know transportation services are so that that should be able to help us. I mean this is just one option. Um, it's uh, perform performance measures. Um, I've done it. Uh, you know I've done it for many, many years in Alameda CPC, and it is very challenging to get a meaningful outcome, meaningful um, result that every, any, anybody can understand and how the system is performing. And so I think what you are trying to get is, um, probably I'm deviating, maybe I, I should just wait. Just sticking with the equity uh, point, um, I would just suggest probably look, you know, surveying the area over time and then adding more, uh, ways to ask um, our different questions so that we understand um, them better and their uh, the services that we are providing for them better. So, I would add that the other things that I think of as resources, we do have our persons on disabilities. Um, is it a committee? Um, or, uh, is it a task force or is it a committee? Commission okay. on persons with disabilities. Yes, thank you. Um, to ask what best way to engage and have feedback, um, what kind of measures would be meaningful for that community, and maybe that's a conduit for data as well, I don't, I don't know. All right, anything else on the first one, or should I move on to, oh, go ahead, Commissioner Dara Abrams. So, so like Commissioner White, see my notes are organized completely differently. I'm so sorry, they, I should have no, asked. No, 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 totally <laughs> defer to the chair here for a complicated topic navigating us through. So the one bit I'm gonna say from my general thoughts that I'll save is fewer is probably better. So any of the suggestions I have, I will totally understand if they're called. And the on equity, the only specific thoughts I wanted to offer was first I wanted to um, Chair, just my basic understanding is when uh, transit's coming up a bit, and part of my understanding is part of why AC Transit is going through so much work with their system redesign is they have to answer to the federal government under Title VI that their plans meet rigorous equity criteria. So, um, you know, I just wanted to share that 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 equity concerns in transit are very closely monitored, and so for the purposes of this, this exercise, maybe are out of scope in a good way of others tending to them. I did want to suggest for equity metrics that the city consider its touch points with residents around transportation and just echo what you said, Chair, on, on who's participating in these planning processes. The more, the better. The more first timers, the better, the more not just homeowners, but renters, the more not just business owners, but employer employees, the better. And 
again, you know, race income level and all factors that maybe can't all be characterized, but just, I just wanted to offer that as, that's a super concrete touch point that, that we are, if things are going well, more people are involved in the process. So those are the thoughts I wanted to share on equity and I'll save my more general thoughts for later. Um, no, we can take, if you want to, well, if, if you and nope. YC had general thoughts Go first, ahead. we can take general thoughts nope. first. <laughs> okay. I have just a couple, but I was going to use them for a wrap-up. So let's go to choices. I'm trying to give Rochelle some linear <laughs> bullet points under each of these. Suggestions. Okay. Um, so again, I'll take, yeah, if you want to, Commissioner Whitesey, go ahead. I'll say a clarifying question to start us off. Uh, is the new uh, estuary water taxi considered to be under the city's control in the sense that we own it, but it's, I think you were contracting out to WIDA, so would that be something that fits into, yes, because we own, we own the boat. Yeah, So, it be, So in yeah. terms of a suggestion for metrics, so we just spent money to create a brand new way off the island, and so it seems like a good metric over the next two years is to figure out, A, is it used, and B, what, what would we consider successful, right, because it's, it's new and we should figure out if that was a good idea and if it, well, if we're gonna continue it after this two year trial. Thank you. Any others before I share my thoughts? Oh, go, go ahead. No, go ahead, Commissioner Garibald. Right, I just wanted to confirm, we're on transportation choices mode shift? Yes. Performance metrics? Yes. Okay. Um, um, so, on the thoughts I wanted to share on this are, are kind of connect to some of the other measures because I think some of, I'll save those thoughts, but I think some of the other measures are best expressed as uh, in relative terms. And so the counts that come out here are probably gonna be very useful for, you know, calculating something like an exposure um, for uh, traffic safety concerns. So I, really liked seeing the emphasis on multimodal counts because um, that's how you could, you know, not just say one person was hit at this intersection, but you could say point zero, yeah, yeah. Point zero, zero one people were hit per crossing of this intersection. Um, and I know the, the folks at Tool do a lot of that, so I, I think they kind of used that, or I imagine they used those types of, that type of logic to calculate the high injury network and with the right type of counts, hopefully the city could kind of keep that process going. Um, I'm, I really like counts so much, I wanted to share a couple specifics. Um, so in my office, we have a, uh, a little camera aimed out and it's doing counts at uh, where Blanding Ave hits uh, Park Street. It's a uh, off-the-shelf open source device called a Telram, T-E-L-R-A-A-M. I'm just sharing that because if folks who are listening and at their computer can look up the count right now. Um, the good news here is that there are a lot of options now in terms of cheaper um, ways of doing this. Um, I believe the city has one eco counter, bike counter, maybe way over on the west end of the Cross Alameda Trail, and? That's right, yeah, it's on the, um, the 
intersection that's between Maine and Webster. Okay, great. Um, and so I imagine infrastructure or equipment is probably a bit beyond the scope, but but I'd consider asking the consultant to advise on like, if you could buy three more of those, where could they go in order to provide the best coverage? Um, I also checked today and the city does have 33 sensors that are counting vehicles. Um, and over the last 30 days, uh, they counted just shy of 500,000 vehicles. Um, this is the police department's automated license plate readers. And um, to be honest, um, I have very mixed feelings about it, but the city has that infrastructure and you all have live counts coming off of those devices. Uh, and so I offer that as another thought there. Um, this, the numbers I, um, um, I mentioned come off of the uh, transparency portal that the public can access. Uh, and um, finally, just a general thought on why I'm just going on and on about counts is that like, we're never gonna have that, that high tech action movie vision of following everyone down their streets. But um, if you have just enough coverage of geographies, modes, time of day, I think that could inf um, be used to just inform some, some what if questions and also some of these doubts that kind of plague some different decision making processes. So um, I, I think there's a lot that can be accomplished with a bit more investment in counting infrastructure and data. So, yeah. Maybe the smart city infrastructure serves as a helpful backbone for that because we do have the underlying infrastructure power comms that would be able to enable some of that technology. Um, I appreciate you saying in a deep dive way, I, my comment was going to be very similar in that I, I want consistent data sources. So having a baseline and then what changes, even if your baseline's a little bit off, what, <laughs> what changes will be the same a little bit off. But I think mode share is really, really important, just a core mode share and it coming from sources that are reliable enough to see the shift. And the bike counts are uh, were one of my one of them because we I, th I would really like that for before and after studies that are easy of like this. I'm not saying a full study. I understand staff time and costs and everything else, but to be able to say these were what we saw at this intersection before, and then we did this, and now we this is what we see is kind of the proof that I've been you know talking about since I've been on the commission. So I think mode share is a big one. The other ones I think for choices mainly to correlate with other things that we see in some of the other um, categories would be travel time, travel cost, or excuse me, trip cost, travel time, and trip reliability. And some of those are gonna be qualitative, so I don't know if we have ongoing surveys that would pull that or what your data collection plan could consider for getting those more um, nuanced, that nuanced feedback clarify, do you mean for transit trips or all trips? It would be nice to, I guess if we stuck to transit trips, it would be by mode specifically, like ferry version. I mean, that's what we see, right? And that's what we fear. The cost of ferry is higher, the reliability is higher, 
So you see that choice being made over the cost of a lower, maybe less reliable bus trip. So if we wanted, if it's better to constrain it to transit because that's more feasible, I don't expect you to go and price out what it costs to have a gas-powered electric car and insurance and everything else to price that trip. I'm sure that lives somewhere, mm -hmm. but <laughs> I was thinking of it more along transit. Uh, so I guess comparing the modes of transit for trip reliability, trip time, and trip cost. I mean, I welcome other. <laughs> so, so one, if I can totally hand wave here, one um, uh, analysis method for transit, it's called accessibility analysis. Um, and I'd be glad to share a few pointers on this. So some transit agencies are adopting it, but also a lot of um, um, MPOs are using it now where you, you pick an origin and then you calculate out, well, where can they travel in 30 minutes? And you get, it's called an isochrone, but it's really a craggly shape. And for cars, we can understand, it feels natural, but for transit, it's super spiky. Yeah. Um, and I would offer that as one specific method to look into because it's probably not what AC is gonna do. Like AC has, billion pieces of data and they're gonna do analysis that the city doesn't need to and can't do. But if you could say, well, here's where you can get in 30 minutes from, you know, um, I, a place in Alameda, I'm blanking, but you know, important place, you could pick 20 important places and um, that could be one um, means and I'm hand waving, but it's also nice for, because lay people can see it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, go and ahead, The KPIs will, I mean, yeah, the AC Transit and WIDA, I mean, I would recommend that we're, we're trying to use what they have available, that we're not doing a whole lot of back-end analysis and massaging. We can use those data points in relation to other data points, but I'm not suggesting a, um, a lot of analysis paralysis before we, yeah, I would like to just see kind of like the weather veins of like, how's this, <laughs> where are our hotspots and our problem areas and which projects have benefited us and which have not. Um, Commissioner Thera. So, I have done the performance reporting for Alameda, or managed it for <laughs> about over 15 years. So started from stopwatch time to Enrix data and then streetlight data. And uh, it was, you know, it was autos and all multimodal and then goods movement included. So, and Rochelle is aware of it. One thing I would like to caution is, uh, Rochelle, um, it's kind of a bottomless pit. You know, you can get lost. Okay. Uh, and um, so you may, you could receive all the comments and all the measures, all the, you know, the wish list, but then you may want to see um, which ones are ideal for a city level, because there are some, um, you know, VMT, I don't know, I mean, because this is an island, probably you can measure it, but still, um, you know, at the county level, we think about maybe probably at regional level, it is worth it, I mean, that's how it is. So. Some of the metrics you may want to see the agency level or the you know jurisdiction level applicability, and definitely there are um, you know people who are already doing this. You may want to check um, how Alameda CTC is doing now. 
because as of 2020, everything is kind of bifurcated into bite-sized pieces. You know, um, there was uh, you know arterial roads how they were performing, and then transit separately, which was heavily relied on the transit data coming from the transit operators in terms of ridership and also the. Um, Revenue vehicle hour travel, then you can name it. You know there were, you know, numerous uh, metrics, but uh, you know the ridership level and then the peak um, hour um, ridership. You can just see um, that may be useful for us or more, you know, comparable. And most importantly, you may want to, um, you know, determine how often you are going to be doing this. And. Um, and then, you know, the cost of it, of course, will determine. And the, I mean, I saw there's a question of, you know, com, uh, balancing between the staff time and, but I, you know, and the cost and um, or whether you want to do it. I think it is important to do it. It is, you know, you, there's so much uh, planning has been done, so much investment has gone in. And it is time uh, that the city has started uh, monitoring the, um, the effectiveness of the improvements, right? So um, I think I will stop there, but you know, for uh, multimodal, you can go off of the, the bike counters that's uh, done at the regional level, and also at Alameda CTC, there is a huge data map. Uh, you know, they do it annually, and you can carve out data for Alameda City. Um, and, um, and East Bay Parks must have something, but I, I don't know whether they have it for the a bay trail um, and uh, same with uh, you know the transit and veta always you know is here you can get some data on veta as well and you may want to put some counters wherever the gap is to identify you know you can put uh, uh, cotton uh, counters to see uh, um, you know the, the trips that's crossing the lines so I would just leave it at that, and then street light data is great, and now the consultants can do wonders with that, and it may be uh, an effective solution. You know, sitting down with a consultant to identify all the existing work that's done, where uh, the city can carve out um, the you know the relevant data and then add on to it what can be done on the ground uh, data collection and uh, and how frequently. Annual is the one you know the. Um, uh, cloud data-based monitoring is being done annually, like by MTC and um, ACTC should be doing now annually too, but uh, you may want to check whether it is uh, possible. So I will leave it at that. Commissioner Whitesey. I will be very quick so we can move on to the next item. Um, first, just wanted to say, maybe we do have the same notes, this idea of creating better denominators for a lot of our metrics, like yeah, great, we made a bunch more bike trips, so of course we got more bike accidents, but we have a lot more bike trips relative to the accidents. I think we don't always do that well. We see, oh God, 13 bike accidents, and that's higher than it was five years ago, but of course it's higher, because we have a lot more bikes, great. Um, my specific question, I wanna know about the end goal for a project Alameda's working on. Can we, put this, can we put the slide back up that was talking about shifting percents off the island versus percents on the island, those trips right there? Yeah, this guy right here. So, Rochelle, I think you mentioned that we're done with this. So, so the, as I understand this, it was essentially, we're gonna do these projects and we would predict that we're gonna have this change to this change based on those projects, right? Is that, is that more or less a correct interpretation? Mm -hmm. And so I think, I, I assume one of the end goals of this is 
when we've done this project or when we've reached a certain year, so we spent money, we did projects, and we ideally <laughs> reduced all, we, we made these things that we wanna go up, go up. And so one of the interesting metrics just for like, I don't know, society at large to understand is, what was the cost per percent? Like what did we spend and how well did it work and how effective was it? Because it's a lot easier to tell the public we spent $2 million and it went up 1% than it is to say we spent $10 million and it went up that same percent. But it seems like that's a good information to understand long term because it's, you know, some of these, some, I mean, God forbid, some of these might not be worth it, but it's, it's good for us to understand like what was, the, what was the cost in and the output out at the end of this project. And I'll just finish up by asking, you mentioned that some of these projects are done, but of course not all these projects are done. We have till 2030. Can you just give us a sense of what, per, is, what percent of the projects on the list are done? Ballpark it, it's okay. If you don't know, it's totally fine. I don't know if I can say what are done. I, I think we're, it's very high in terms of the ones that are underway. I think it's like 75 or 85%. I mean, the annual transportation report really started as a way to report on those 39 yeah. projects. Uh, so now you'll see in the appendix to that report uh -huh. that we do, a report on every project and how far we've gotten for them. Right. For, for them. So in terms of number of ones that are actually closed out and completed, I would say it's probably less than 25%. But it sounds like you're maybe confident come 2030, seven short years from now, a, you know, a <laughs> good a percent, a good percent of those will be in, like in close to done and we could actually get that data and just like, that's an interesting social study, and that's interesting information that the world should have, like yeah. what we did with that. Yeah, and you know, it, I think now five years out, it could be interesting to see, are we moving towards these goals since we know that some of those projects are okay. completed, so. Cool, thank you. Mm -hmm. All right, can we, is there anything else on choices? Sorry to move this along quickly. Uh, let's see, we had, This right? Yes. Yes. So for general comments, I'll open. It sounds like you guys had some more overarching ones or maybe how the metrics are uh, related to each other. Uh, sure, I'll, I'll go ahead if there aren't others. Or I think these comments sort of square with, I think, where some others are coming from that well, first, I think um, fewer is probably better because um, to be effective, these metrics will need to be up to date, dependable, high quality. Um, and so, you know, again, I offer more thoughts to add to the list with the, the expectation that the list will be really called back. And um, I, would, I would also offer that hopefully the consultants you're able to find have um, some real hands-on experience so they can also advise on saying, that's a great idea, but that's too hard, or it doesn't have the return on investment, um, and just you know, be practical about making the list short. Um, I, I um, would also offer that every metric probably needs to be really simple to explain. Um, and to re-explain when a, um, elected or appointed decision makers ask, well, what does that mean? And um, I'm a recovering academic, so I have a habit to, 
to get into the weeds and so, but I, I would say a measure of success for this project would be the opposite of just being able to say over and over again, you know, this is what that means. And, you know, people can disagree with, conclude with where to go from it, but, you know, super simple and understandable for what up means and what down means. Um, and then I'm glad to hear, you know, Commissioner Whitesey rephrase what I said in terms of you know, relative comparisons as denominators. Like, I think we're all interested in trends. Trends are super hard to find because, well, COVID happened and threw everything off and the Bay Area economy will go up and down and throw everything else off. But if these measures could be designed to detect some points of comparison, again, like the, you know, relative to the traffic at this intersection, do we have a high or low count of crashes? Um, I, I think that would be a sign of success. So um, those are my general thoughts. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Sutanthira. One uh, last point. You know, so this particular measure in terms of being super simple and understandable, uh, but this could be construed as an auto-centric tool, but it's how you look at it. Um, it's the, you know, I heard from people I'm not driving during the peak time these days, so um, I don't know how the entry points, the bridges and the tunnel um, or the tubes are functioning, but I hear from many people like it's, it's really packed and, uh, you know, there's a, a backup. Um, so if there is a way to measure that, just how far um, during the peak period, right, uh, uh, are so if they can be measured, then you can just see it from, okay, there is a need for people to move away from the autos, or you know, there should be some, and then you are actually, um, if it is not electric, then you are um, really impacting the climate. Um, You're not really supporting, um, you know, or in terms of any other measures that uh, you can do. So um, that's, it's kind of a very traditional one, to uh, measure the in the the queues are backup at the intersections or you know in the, in our case um, the tubes and tunnels and are, are the bridges uh, the entry and exit points but I think it's a worthwhile one to figure out uh, over time how we are changing how we are shifting in, in terms of mode share and things like that so other general comments. Commissioner Johnson, then? Commissioner Whitesey, then? <laughs> that one? Here's just I, a final catch-all. Is um, A personal little bit of mine is I don't think uh, um, clean modes of propulsion for buses matter. I think a diesel bus is a sustainable mode of transport. So I'll just offer that to one of the bullet points that was on that list there. That is all. Thank you. Thank you. My general ones were um, this is specifically in response to the staff time and having been through a lot of evaluations in, in my career that shouldering into the planning to get it set to understand what data sets you're going to get. I think that data collection piece is going to be really important to understand where it comes from, that it's reliably the same data set, that it's coming for the same amount of time, 
I feel like that's, if you are gonna find a trend, those anomalies just always become something you're explaining to someone instead of useful for what you're trying to do. And then along those lines that I'm not a fan of interesting. I'm a, I'm a fan of actionable. <laughs> and I think there's a lot of wonderful grad students that can go find out interesting things for us all over the place. But for this particular thing, we are looking for inputs to decision making that affect our taxpayers and the quality of life of our city's <laughs> citizens. So I would try and keep a really hard eye towards what is useful and actionable when you look at a KPI. And then lastly, um, using those readily available sources. I love the idea, if you had a four KPI dashboard that was just on <laughs> the things that people care about and the things that policymakers want to move the needle on, then less is more is the way to do it. So um, consistent, readily available, actionable, I think are really important factors for how KPIs are successfully used and not just an exercise in data analysis. Personal opinion. Okay, any others? Okay, we're going to close 6B. And I am not going to open 6C yet because I must turn, I have must recuse as my employer has a contract with the city. Um, I'm gonna step out into that area if that's okay. And I'm going to hand it over. We don't have Vice Chair Ewan our bylaws does not address specifically what happens in that event when the chair has to recuse and we don't have a vice chair. I went with a simple method of seniority and Commissioner Whitesey is going to take over chairing this portion of the meeting and then I, I'll be back for item, item seven whenever Lisa comes to get me. Uh, finally a benefit to being old, good for me. Uh, next item is item 6C, Estuary Bridge update. Uh, chair Schultz has recused herself. I am the chair, Scott Whitesy, for this item. Uh, the goal today, this is a discussion item. We are just receiving an update on the Estuary Bridge project before the city council receives their update. Please welcome to the stage, Rochelle Wheeler. <laughs> Good evening, acting um, Chair Whitesy and commissioners, I'm Rochelle Wheeler, I'm still senior transportation coordinator. Um, and I am going to give you an update tonight on the Oakland Alameda Estuary Bridge. Um, I put together this slideshow, um, this presentation, also for the council, and um, realized that I have actually been here um, within the last year to this group to provide a presentation in March. So I'm gonna kinda go quickly through the first part of the presentation, uh, which you guys have heard in March, and then focus on the things that have happened since then. So um, this is a, a project um, overall um, to, um, address the, our growing um, region, um, growing number of houses that are being built and communities and jobs that are cre being created and that um, creates a need for more, not just transportation modes, but sustainable transportation modes. And particularly we're looking at connecting West Alameda um, with um, Oakland and the Jack London Square area for this project. Next slide. Oh, sorry, I have this. 
Um, I think we're all aware, especially this group, of the current situation with the state route 260, the Posey tube. Uh, this is, uh, we consider this a deficient facility and not a way that we want people to um, walk and bike um, across the estuary. And that's one of the main things we're trying to address. We're also trying to, um, oh, very sensitive. Oh, that was you. Okay. Um, we're also um, trying to address the fact that we have a lot of equity priority communities and um, what the federal government calls um, environmental justice communities on both sides of this area that's shown in the, the dashed areas and also the purple area. So reducing the number of cars that are driving in these areas can improve uh, the health as can having um, you know, modes to get around that, that aren't auto-based um, and that we can reduce greenhouse gases as well. So we're currently in a scoping phase. You guys have heard about this before. We're, it's called a PID or a project initiation document. It's very early. Um, it's a, another type of feasibility study, you might call it. We're looking at identifying the project scope, the cost, and the schedule. Um, and uh, we are not designing the bridge right now. We're not picking a design. We're not even picking the final location of it. We're just really exploring what the, um, the future costs of this project would be both to, you know, get it built and also to um, um, just, it, you know, even to do the planning phases and the, the amount of environmental work and the permits that are needed. Uh, we've been working with a technical advisory committee and we have a stakeholder equity advisory committee. We've created a web page. Um, so we are, I'll, I'll summarize some of the input we've been hearing later. Uh, we presented to you before in March that we developed a draft project purpose we worked with our advisory committees on this, and um, I won't read this, but really, you know, key is reducing this barrier effect of the Oakland estuary and improving that multimodal connectivity. Um, we defined a project study area, um, which is basically between what's called Reach 6, where the, um, the Port of Oakland kind of the shipping channel area ends, and also on the other side, the um, where Estuary Park is on the Oakland side. Um, and um, we looked at this area um, and we focused in on this area and looked at the constraints in this area. I showed you guys this map in March and um, we had to you know, look at where there's a lot, there's a lot of constraints here and a lot for us to try to avoid. Um, this kind of overly complicated map shows us what kind of from red to green are kind of highest and then lower constrained areas and kind of where can we where can we kind of uh, lay a path of, of these of this possible bridge and we identified three areas those western corridor the central and the eastern corridor so I think that's about where I got to um, where we were in March and the information we presented and since then we've been working with our consultant team and the advisory committees um, and looking at one of the things is just in terms of designing this bridge, what are the really key areas that we have to be considering? And that's usage, waterfront compatibility, and maritime traffic. And these all, um, they actually kind of work in different, somewhat different directions, some of these, in terms of certain bridge types are better for one and not as good for the other, and they're, they're in conflict some of the time. So this is a project, I will say, of trade-offs um, in terms of many design, location, many of the factors. Um, for usage, um, obviously the, we want the highest possible usage of people walking and biking. 
um, and we need excellent connections, short approaches, small grade changes for that to happen. Um, this is backed by data in terms of what people will, will actually use. Uh, we need to have it be compatible with the waterfront. Um, shorter approaches and smaller towers um, has less impacts on those waterfront developments and they complement our existing, both our open waterfronts and then the housing and other developments that are happening along both waterfronts in Alameda and Oakland. Um, and then um, we have to consider the maritime traffic and the sailboats and also the Coast Guard and the, um, the, the, the working vessels that are going using the estuary. Um, the greater clearance that this bridge has over the water and longer spans are, are good for maritime traffic because it's higher up, it's less impact on um, boats being able to pass through here. Um, so we had to look at all of these constraints and obviously the usage and waterfront compatibility kind of wanting maybe a lower bridge and then the maritime traffic wanting a higher bridge. We had to kind of look for some, um, um, some sweet spots there. Um, so in looking at all of this, um, we developed um, basically six um, in, within these three larger corridors, kind of six alignments, and you'll see each of those alignments, it's a total of 12, because for each of those we have a taller bridge and then a um, kind of more medium height bridge. One is a 70 foot and one is a 40 foot high. And so we um, looked at kind of what the ramping would look like so that um, we can evaluate these against each other and what would um, the height look like, uh, what would some of the impacts be. And so we looked at all of these. Um, we kind of had to develop some detail in order to be able to do this anal an analysis to compare all of these with the idea of narrowing down our, the number of alignments that we're studying. So we used, uh, developed a screening a criteria with 13 metrics um, and they were grouped and then weighted. Uh, they're grouped by our purpose and need, which we talked about in the beginning, which we had developed. Um, why are we doing this bridge? Wanting to make sure it meets all of those, um, uh, the purposes. Um, and we looked at design and placemaking, and then we looked at environmental impacts. And then we scored all of those, and the outcome of this was the three highest scoring, and there, there was a weighting for these, um, were um, the three at the bottom. And, um, those are um, shown here. These are our top three alternatives, which we are have moved into um, the analysis of uh, the PID document. So these are the three alternatives that we're currently studying. There are two in the more western side. One, uh, they both land around Fifth Street um, and the Alameda Landing area at Bull Hole Circle Immigrant <coughs> Park. And then on the Oakland side, one of them lands at Washington and one lands at Broadway. Um, and then on the east, more eastern side, we have this one that lands, it connects between Estuary Park in Oakland, which is getting redeveloped, and a small park in Alameda in the Marina Village area. Um, this is a zoom, a zooming in. Um, these are all scored relatively high for usage, the amount of usage they would get, um, their physical and social qualities at their landings, and their kind of more civic-oriented open spaces and parks. Um, they have these large um, curves without loops, and those are needed in order to gain um, 
elevation to, you know, you, we can't just do a straight shot for these bridges. You have to be able to ramp up to get over the water. So that's why we have these kind of, but they're more gradual loops rather than tight circles, which are both less aesthetically appealing and generally um, people do not like riding on them for a variety of reasons on shorter approaches. Um, they also all are 40 feet above the water and have a 400 foot horizontal clearance between the um, for the span. And just here are some real sketch mock-ups of what these could look like. Again, we're not um, designing the bridge right now. Um, this is just the possible design. We have not settled on a, a design. It will be a movable bridge, though. Um, this is the second one, also connecting to Alameda Landing. And then this is the one which is a, a slightly longer bridge. It's a wider opening of the estuary at this point over by Estuary Park. Um, so we have, as I said, engaged with our advisory committees. And um, some of the key, we've heard a lot of feedback, which has all been great to hear. And we're incorporating that into our analysis and our, and our record of, of, and, of, of these, um, this outreach is um, that some of the key things we've heard is, first of all, there is a lot of support for this project, and this is for a variety of reasons, for commuting, for recreating, uh, to access services such as um, grocery stores. Um, we know and we've heard that it would greatly enhance the Bay Trail connection between our two cities. Um, the current Bay Trail is the Posey Tube, that's the connector, <laughs> um, and um, that obviously would be greatly enhanced with this project. Um, we have heard concerns from boaters and marinas about the disruption of both sailing in and out of the estuary and of conducting races that happen inside the estuary. Um, we have been working closely from the, the get-go with the Coast Guard. Uh, we know about their navigational clearance requirements and we'll continue to work with them on that. Um, we have heard some concerns from some of the uh, waterfront residents about view obstructions and some of the challenges of, of having a, a new bridge right by these new developments. Um, and then we've also heard the need to meet and even exceed the ADA requirements with this bridge. So we are, as I've said, in an early schedule. We're at least um, 10, you know, 10 years out from having a bridge constructed. In the best case scenario, where the only phase that we have currently funded is this project initiation document phase right now. We anticipate finishing this document um, in um, early next year by around April. And um, that document will really help us to move forward to the next phase, which we um, are developing now kind of implementation strategy for how to move this project forward. But that would be the environmental phase and then going into the plans and the development of the plans for the bridge and then going into construction. There's still tons of unknowns, um, lots of funding still to be um, raised for this project. I just wanna emphasize both for everybody here and anybody listening that um, this is, um, we view this, we're working in very close partnership with Oakland and other stakeholders and we view this as a regional project. This is not, uh, the city of Alameda has stepped up to take the lead because this is very important to our community, but um, this project will not in any way be fully funded um, by Alameda. In fact, no, no Alameda funding has directly been spent on this project yet. We've had funding from the Alameda County Transportation Commission for all the previous phases and the current phase that we're in right now. And so we really, obviously there's staff time dedicated to this, but the, this project will need, the money will need to be raised from 
countywide, regional, federal sources to, to move the project forward. So we, like I said, hope to um, finish the PID um, around April next year. We need to be looking at who would sponsor this project and take this into the next phase, who will lead the environmental, the environmental, the CEQA and the NEPA documents. Um, we are um, expanding our public engagement and we'll be doing more um, community engagement on this and being out in the community more to get more feedback from the public. As I said, we're looking at developing an implementation strategy on how this project, how we can move it forward to completion as since it is an incredibly complex project going over a navigable waterway um, and um, connecting two cities and um, yeah, just there's there's a lot here, and and we really need to focus on how we can um, move the project forward, and obviously seeking funding for the next phases. So, um, there's my contact info. Anybody can feel free to contact me, or please visit our webpage. And that is my update. I'm happy to answer any questions. So, why don't we go ahead and move to public comment, if that's okay, and then we'll come back for any clarifying questions and just combine. Uh, both sets of questions. So are there any public comments in person? Uh, sorry, there are. We will start with, we have three speaker slips. Maybe one of them is luck on, but, and then so far we have two hands raised on Zoom. So we'll start with Steve Mechfessel. I think that person probably left. Then Chris Lloyd. Uh, three minutes, correct. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, good evening, members of the Transportation Commission. My name is Chris Lloyd, and I'm on the board of the Homeowners Association of the Bay 37 community here in Alameda. Um, I'm very intrigued uh, by this bridge as someone who regularly commutes via scooter uh, to work three days a week. But I'm here tonight to ask um, that you urge the city to gain additional stakeholder input from the Bay 37 community before presenting these recommendations on the bridge alternatives to the city council next week and beyond. As you know, two of the recommendations in the PID would build the Alameda entry and exit to the bridge directly in the Bay 37 neighborhood. Despite this, city staff, in my view, did not truly seek input from our community, even though they ranked stakeholder buy-in highly on options W4 and W6 on the scorecard that was just presented to you. Many Bay 37 community members are on a first-name basis with every member of the Alameda City Council and many members of Alameda's planning staff, which made it even more surprising to many of us that city officials claimed they had no idea how to contact our community to involve us in the stakeholder advisory committee meetings until five days before the final session that was held this past August. Even during that one meeting, our HOA's concerns regarding increased crime, noise, and cost were dismissed. Um, and I know for a fact that view obstruction was not a primary concern of the Bay 37 community when it comes to this bridge as was just described. Since the city estimates the proposed bridge would regularly bring thousands of bike riders and pedestrians literally past our front doors, we think it's only fair that they survey our community to accurately assess how quote unquote bought in we truly are. I believe if that's done, options W4 and W6 might not end up being the recommended alternatives um, once the scorecard is adjusted. 
As the commission knows, large transportation and infrastructure projects often bring communities together given the significant public investment involved. Therefore, I ask that we don't start this proposed bridge on a divisive note by ignoring the community it will impact the most. Thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for your comment. Let's have the next comment, please. Charles Eilhart. Hi, Charles, you have three minutes. Oh, how much? Three, okay, thank you. Um, good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Charles Eilhart. I'm a member of the Bay 37 HOA Safety Committee. Uh, we, I, I presume you know where the Bay 37 is. It's right, it, Bowl Circle Park is our front yard and Target is our backyard. Uh, at this point, I'm neutral on the general concept of, of a bridge. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it, uh, but I have reservations about the proposed top alternatives, W4 and W6, which both land with large structures in and along the length of Bohol Circle Immigrant Park. In disclosures when we purchased in Bay 37, <clears throat> the possible conceptual bridges were shown as terminating far away from the waterfront as extensions of high bridges which would have a far different impact on our neighborhood. I have no knowledge of any input having been gathered from our Bay 37 residents until very recently, so I do not understand how the conclusions in the alternative screening table and the presentation, column five, the touchdown area urban design, and for column seven, stakeholder buy-in were arrived at. The E2 alternative, where any location which does not land in a densely populated location would be far more acceptable, especially taking into our account into account our concerns regarding increased crime, noise, and costs, which do not appear to have been addressed. We request that these concerns be taken into consideration and that you involve the residents of Bay 37 uh, as this process goes forward. Uh, the, the other thing I'd like to mention is the, this, the water taxi, which is right in our front yard as well. And we're, we're kind of very pleased with that idea. And we, the city has obviously, or someone has put a lot of money into that ferry, into the ferry landing itself, the dock. And I, I would, I would r request that the data, the performance data and the, the, uh, uh, the information you get from usage and cost for that project be very carefully taken into consideration for comparison with what, what you're, what's being proposed for the bridge and whether this might not, the ferry might not serve the purpose ultimately, maybe better than the bridge and at a better, lower cost. So anyway, thank you for your time. I appreciate your listening. Thank you for your comment. And that's it for public comments in person. Any on Zoom? Yes, we have five hands raised on Zoom. We'll start with Christy Ng. Hi, Christy, you have three minutes. Perfect. Um, uh, good evening, commissioners. Uh, my name is Christy Ng, and I live in Alameda Landing. I work in downtown Oakland and use the free shuttle to get to work. The shuttle has a bike rack, but I never see it used, so I'm also curious where the support is coming from. I'm wondering if the data from the free shuttle is being used as a proxy to inform the need for a pedestrian bridge. 
I think the water taxi data would be informative, but if it is a popular option to forego the bridge and support the water taxi. I also learned from agenda item 6B today that if all the programs are funded, estuary crossing would improve by 12%. That means the bridge improves crossing by less than 12%, which makes me wonder if this is the best way to, sp to spend at a minimum $200 million plus annual maintenance. And um, I think we talked about this earlier, it ends up being uh, $16 million per 1%. And especially when we just had a concerning conversation about bus lines being cut because of the lack of funding. Uh, thank you. Thank you for your comment. Let's have the next public comment. Scott Harding. Hi, members of the Transportation Commission. My name is Scott Harding. I'm a member of the Bay 37 community. I strongly encourage the, the city staff to engage in a more thorough consultation with the Bay 37 community before presenting proposals outlined in the PID to the city council next week. Listen, the placement of the proposed bridge, bridge terminal within Bay 37 neighborhood would have a significant impact on the community. Yet, despite the importance they place on stakeholder buy-in, the city staff has failed to adequately involve any of the Bay 37 residents in the decision-making process. To be honest, at this time, I'm not advocating for or against the construction of the bridge. Instead, I'm simply urging the city to pause and initiate a genuine engagement with the Bay 37 community before making a final decision. You know, it's important to note that this is the second time within a year that the city planning staff has neglected to actively involve the Bay 37 residents in a critical matter that significantly impacts our neighborhood. And I sincerely hope that we can move away from this trend and adopt a more inclusive approach starting today. Therefore, I'm earnestly imploring the city to avoid initiating the proposed bridge project in a divisive manner by overlooking this community that stands to be most effective. Thank you so much for your consideration. Thank you for your comment. Let's move to the next public comment. Denise Trepanier. Thank you, uh, Acting Chair Whitesey and the Transportation Commission. Uh, my name is Denise Trepanier. I'm the board president for Bikewalk Alameda. Um, just wanted to, first of all, thank staff for the work that they've been taking on for this regional project, which you know, we've said all along shouldn't be led by the city, should be led by uh, a regional agency. So appreciate staff's work on everything they've done for this. Um, this is going to be a transformative regional project that um, a couple points I want to make about it. First of all, we did the estuary crossing study in 2009, which determined that the bridge was, was the best long-term feasible solution. Um, and so we're moving forward with it. So I know there's a lot of discussion and a lot of excitement about the water taxi starting up. The water taxi was identified as the best midterm solution would have been nice if, if we'd gotten it up and running a few years ago, but um, you know, I think everyone's really excited that it's it's happening now. But and so the water taxi is a great midterm solution, but it doesn't meet the long-term objectives of this project. We need 24 by 7 access across the estuary for the west end of Alameda, where we're building most of our houses, where we have equity issues, where we have huge um also uh, just pollution issues on the side more on the oakland side than we do on our side but um, we've got to mitigate that with the estimated 35 to 40,000 bicycles that are going to cross this 
bridge um, a week once it's built. So I just want us to take into consideration the larger goals and objectives of this project. Um, also, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to participate in some of the stakeholder advisory committee meetings for the bridge. Um, and I, you know, I participated in those and there was definitely representation from the Bay 37 folks at all of those meetings. So, um, you know, I just take a grain of salt at that the city hasn't been doing a good job of soliciting their input because they have been involved in the stakeholders advisory committee up to this point. Um, but again, this is a regional transformative project and it's bigger than just, you know, sort of what the people perceive at, at one end of the bridge. The people in Oakland really, really support this. Um, and so, yeah, just really thankful for staff's work. Thank you. Any additional public comments? Yes, we have three more. Um, Joshua Hahn is next. Uh, hello, Commission and staff. Uh, I've been following the estuary crossing proposals since before I even moved to Alameda three years ago. When I was looking for a place to buy a home in Alameda in the spring of 2020 after the pandemic started, I did so like fully understanding that, that such new transportation plans were being made and have been in the process for quite a while. Uh, these include the estuary water shuttle that's starting up next year, the BART Capital Corridor Link 21 project for a new Transbay rail crossing. Hopefully we'll have a BART or a Capital Corridor or a rail station in Alameda Point one day. And of course this bridge. Uh, I ended up settling in Alameda Point, but I might have ended up in the Bay 37 community myself if that project had been completed only a couple of years earlier. So uh, I, I remain a strong advocate for the bridge and I'll continue to look forward uh, to one day using the bridge myself. Thank you. Thank you, next public comment. Luca Solonardo. Hello, uh, my name is Luca Zalunardo. I'm a resident of Bay 37. I would like to thank everybody for the time that you dedicate to us uh, to, you know, listen our comments. Um, one just recommendation I have for the city would be to try to rerun the number uh, and the models for the estimation of uh, the people that would use the bridge. Uh, from the latest news from the Bay Area, it looks like that, you know, the study that was done on the Richmond Bridge for, uh, you know, the introduction of the bike lane and the walkable path on the Richmond Bridge has not really matched the goal at the end. And, you know, they're now considering to remove the line and the bike lane because it's pretty much, you know, as an insignificant use during the week and the weekend from pedestrian and, and bike riders. So I think the 2009 um, analysis that was done was probably modeled on other trends. And with the pandemic and what has been discussed also earlier tonight with less people walking and you know uh, commuting, it would be very important to you know rerun those models and see what would be the real uh, numbers of people that would actually potentially would use the bridge to commute. Thank you very much for your time and the attention. Thank you for your comment. Next comment, please. That actually is now the last speaker. That was the last speaker. Yeah, that was the last. Okay, we will move on to any open commission questions and discussion. Who has a comment or a question? Yeah, I have a question. Um, Rochelle, are there any um, these type of bridges throughout the United States? I know it's not apples to apples, but we could sort of <clears throat> look at and see if something like this 
what are the trends? Well, I mean, is there anything like this across the U.S. that we could look um, at? Yeah, there are definitely bike and pedestrian bridges. Um, a few of them are movable. Some of them are just fixed bridges, but um, those have been used um, uh, to look at design options for one, um, and um, the you know the the details of how those bridges were built are. And the cost is probably going to be different than ours, just because of the unique situations of the widths and the elevations, and you know their Coast Guard island and the Coast Guard requirements that we have. Uh, but one of the ways we've we've looked at that data is is actually in doing the um, projections for ridership and looking at um, what kind of ridership those bicycle and pedestrian bridges, dedicated bridges, have gotten and then trying to um, use that to help estimate what we could expect here. And, um, and that is actually something that this um, document we're working on right now, we're updating all of our estimates for that, for usage based on the latest data that we have, the latest um, modeling projections we have that now go out to 2050 for um, housing and um, transportation. So. Is there, I mean, I know it's completely different, but is there anything we can take from the um, pedestrian bridge that we have, the Bay Farm one, you know, that, that we have? Is there anything that we can look at that and say, you know, any sort of facts or information we can take from yeah, that? Yeah, we, um, we actually looked um, in looking at trying to, again, kind of look at developing a model for usage. We looked at the Park Street Bridge and how that's being used for walking and biking. and. And you know, basically, to help calibrate that model, like we expect, would expect this much usage, and well, what what are our counts actually showing us? So we used it that way. Okay. Thank you. Any other commissioner questions or comments? Commissioner Susan Thera. Um, Rochelle, um, did we get participants from Bay Thirty Seven neighborhood at the meetings? Um, so we did, um, from the beginning, have an invitation that we sent out. We, we, our, our stakeholder, I'll just say, I step back and say our stakeholder advisory committee and equity advisory committee, I think altogether we had about 300 invites or more to those. Um, very open, you know, we weren't trying to keep it as a very small group. Um, I do, we did, um, I think we had the Bay 37 uh, when we, the developer um, and not the resident association initially, and that is what we um, changed. Um, and unfortunately, that was a bit later in the process. Um, but we did um, invite the uh, connect with the homeowners and invite them, and they were at. We had we've had three total of three stakeholder and equity advisory committee meetings, and they were at the third one. Sorry, just so I can clarify, were they were they invited to the first two? No, they just went. They were invited to the third one. That's right. Yeah, we were inviting the. Um, in retrospect, probably the wrong the wrong person there. It's a developer. Mm -hmm. She says. Okay. okay. So, um, in terms of moving forward, um, when you draw a comparison, um, you know, analysis. Uh, one is the the technical feasibility, technical um, all the other aspects, but again, the impact, you will be able to compare, right? You will be drawing, it's okay, for W4, W6 versus E6, right? And, sorry, E2, and 
so that's how I'm, I'm just trying to inform everyone that it'll be a very open and comparison will be fair and then so there will be opportunities for the um, residents of Bay 37 to um, voice their opinion even you know in the final pitch stage I'm assuming um, well, we are, our consultants are developing the PID based on these three alternatives right now. That was the direction that we okay. gave after having our last set of TAC and stakeholder advisory committee meetings. Um, so they are doing that analysis now. They're looking at the environmental impacts, the, um, you know, the cost, the design issues, and all of those for these three alternatives. Um, we are not picking a preferred alternative at this point. Okay. Um, there is no, that is not part of what a PID document does. It just looks at, you know, but we need to identify three possible alternatives. We had 12. Um, I would have loved if our study could have included all 12, but we didn't have that level of budget. Um, it would be very huge to look at all of those. So, um, so we, that's why we use the evaluation matrix to be able to narrow it down. Um, we did our best to do that. There will be the, as, as you and others I'm sure are aware, the environmental document phase is a very public input intensive phase. Um, a lots of analysis will happen way more than we're doing right now. There'll be much more public input during that phase. Um, that phase can open up, um, not that we're recommending this, but it doesn't, other alternatives could pop up that we haven't thought of that could then get included. Um, other alternatives that we thought weren't working well could could rise back up. Um, so I, I guess I wanna hesitate, we had to narrow this down in order to have kind of something manageable to study, but there will be and can be tweaks along the way and changes along the way, especially as we respond to public comment, additional information, potential changes in development. I mean, we have not considered at all, for instance, here, that anything is gonna happen in Howard Terminal, now that it does not look like the A's are coming there. Um, you know, if something changed tomorrow, we would wanna include that in our analysis, but, um, so that would be an example of some, a major change we might consider. Okay, thank you. Any other commissioner questions? Commissioner Johnson. Yeah, um, you know, we talk about equity and all the different things, and one of the things I know about equity is trying to make sure that all the voices are brought to the table. So, listening to representatives from the Bay 37, have we sort of fixed that problem in terms of making sure that moving forward, all their, as many of their voices are at the table? Because I'm thinking, I don't know anything about that community, and what percentage of that community was at the meeting, you know, that's what I would want to know. Like if you have, I don't know, if there's 100 members that live in that community and only five show up at a meeting, that's a, that should be an automatic red flag. So moving forward, you know, knocking on doors, I mean, going over and beyond the regular, you know, like, you know, the person that you said that you had at the first one, he was the home, what was the gentleman? The developer. Yeah, that, that. Mm -hmm. I don't know who came up with that idea, but you know, you want you want the residents, you want the people who are on the ground. I mean, that's that community really, even if they don't agree with the pro, they need to be part of the sausage making process every day. I mean, that that's just 
that has to happen. I mean, I've, I've been part of projects where we didn't do that and it didn't, it didn't go well, so they have to be, they have to be tired of seeing us. <laughs> That's what we want, so it is, that is, we can't make that mistake again. That, that's a, that's a no-no, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So just that right. Yeah, I, I will add that, you know, we are, there are a lot of communities and there's a lot more outreach that we will want to do and will be doing, and it's not confined to this phase. It will be continuing. Yeah. Um, and um, I um, have offered this, and I'm happy to offer to meet with the Bay 37 community. Um, I've offered that to other stakeholder groups, mm -hmm. some of the maritime groups and some of the sailing groups. I've offered that. Um, so we're, and, and we also want to just do more general outreach and be out there in the community, maybe to places where, you know, people aren't necessarily, you know, associated with a certain group, but, you know, being like kind of pop-up events and things like that. So we're, we're definitely at a phase where we want to do a lot of public engagement and, um, continue doing that. Yeah. That, I think, Rochelle, we also we have to do, we have to be able to capture that information so that when they come to a community meeting, we can say on this date, we talked to these people, they said this. Mm -hmm. We have to be able to have a chronology of show what we actually did. We talked to this person lives at this address. We need to be able to have this information so that five years, you might not be here. We not, might not be here, but we need to be able to sort of capture that information and yeah. have it populated somewhere so we can say, Absolutely. they come to a meeting and say, well, you didn't do this, and then we can say, oh, yes, we did. This is who we talked to. And see, if we don't have that, then it's kind of like, it leaves us flat-footed. Mm -hmm. so. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you, Commissioner Johnson. Commissioner Dara Abrams, any comments or questions? Yeah, so, so um, Rochelle, thank you very much for this level of detail and also for, well, being the torch carrier for <laughs> what is a multi-decade project um, for this phase. Um, first, I just had a super basic clarifying question that my understanding is we're here for discussion now, but could you, could you just tell us, um, there was an upcoming council meeting, could the, the goal with that or the decision point for that is... Yeah, um, it's the same as for the Transportation Commission. We're just giving them an update. Um, the last time we were there was um, about 16 months ago, and so we're just going to fill them in on this process, and they authorized the contract and this work, and so we want to let them know where things are at. Okay. That and it's a non-action item. There are no decisions being made. Okay. They, mm -hmm. Always good to know what, what the point of the touch point is, so thank you for that. Um, but yes, yeah, so as I said, I use the metaphor of, you know, carrying the torch. I've also heard from planners the metaphor of planting seeds for the future. And this is a really long-term project and I'm, um, I just want to speak to, to how, you know, everyone here, but many before and many to come are going to be a part of making this happen. Um, I have heard, you know, and I know others have heard, um, cost concerns and I just wanted to share um, a little acronym I heard of um, um, MBT, million, billion, trillion, and that the project here under consideration is um, in millions, you know, M for millions. Other projects like the east, uh, eastern span of the, uh, the Bay Bridge 
um, billions with B, completely different um, uh, in scale, in complexity. And then in, t in terms of T, the bipartisan infrastructure law just made available $1.2 trillion. Um, and so I just want to, I, I know I'm getting away from some of the specifics under consideration here, but since this is my first time on this body with this bridge coming, topic coming up, I just wanted to share sort of my layperson's conceptualization here that very long-term project, um, many important stages, many important stakeholders at every single stage, but very much a multi-decade effort where um, that you know, I'm glad to be here to support today. I'm real, you know, city's punching above its weight on this project, and you know, I'm very glad the city will be continuing to do so. Um, and in the context of the cost of transportation infrastructure, um, this this is in line with you know, moving people across an important regional connection. Um, so um, I. I'm glad to hear that uh, this is going to council for them to get the update because it sounds like TC's gotten more recent updates and um, that more members of the public will be able to participate at that event as well. So thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Dara Abrams. Uh, any other commissioner questions or comments before I add a couple? Going great so far. Okay. Um, I had a couple of clarifying questions and then I guess a couple of comments. Uh, first clarifying question was, is the, so, so we had this graph up front earlier that was talking about mode shift and projects that were contributing to that three, five, 6% mode shift by 2030. Is the bridge considered one of those projects that was incorporated into that mode shift? I don't think it's, it's, it was, there's about five projects including like congestion pricing, new transit tube that are long-term projects. Right. Um, I don't think those are anticipated to be finished by 2030, right. so yeah. I don't so, think so. So the comment earlier about that. $200 million on a bridge to do that shift, that actually would be a separate project that wouldn't be related to the goal of that data. I just wanted to clarify that. I believe so, yeah. Just a question. Um, so approximately what year was the information that a bridge could be built in this general area publicly available. If I went to the internet and I Googled I'm buying a house and I want to know, is there going to be, what, what's happening here? When, when was that first publicly available? Um, I would probably say the 2009 estuary um, feasibility study report. Okay. And then what year was Bay 37 uh, approved and then what year was it built? <laughs> Might have to defer to our planners there. I think it's it's still being built, yep, um, but approved. I I don't have that date, 2017. 2017. Okay. Um, and I and I will say, and one of the one of I believe one of the commenters did state this that, you know, we did preserve an easement through mm -hmm. that Bay 37 for a possible future bridge, and we ensured that that is in all of the was in all of the disclosures that all the homeowners got when when they've purchased. Um, that was one of the alignments we studied. It's the most furthest western one, but for various um, reasons that one did not score as well, and so that's why that one is not included as one of the top three. But the information for the pop, for the easement what would have been publicly available when homeowners were purchasing a house? It would have been in the disclosures the for disclosures, the home purchase right. okay. process. Yeah. Just trying to make understand timeline. Mm -hmm. um, 
let's put the bridge back up. Can we put the three, the three different most popular alignments? I guess is where I get into comments here. Okay, so, <laughs> so there are a couple comments about trying to move bridges away from dense housing and urban areas. I could not possibly disagree with that sentiment more. Um, the point is we wanna put the ability to get on and off the island near people and not build a bridge to nowhere, in my estimation. Um, I understand Estuary Park is undergoing some changes. Speaking personally, my own opinion about this, uh, the easternmost alignment, at least now, is craziness because we're not building it anywhere near the downtown Oakland corridor. I guess it's sort of kind of close to Lake Merritt Bart, which I assume is the reason for some of the scoring that I actually found highly supportive of that. Um, but it is, it is not near the downtown corridor in any way. It's not near uptown. It's not near downtown Oakland. It's not near, near a Broadway shuttle. It's not near those things right now. It is, it's kind of out there as I understand it. So I guess that's more a comment than a question. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the comments that I, sorry, let me ask one more question about this. This is a bridge project that in theory is going to reduce car travel. Um, are there any environmental, loophole is the wrong word, are there any laws or ways to move this project forward more quickly given its likely environmental benefit, given that California seems to be kind of into that in the last couple years? Is there any way that this fits into something that California's gonna let you guys do a little faster given its environmental benefits? Can anyone speak to that at this point? Um, I would love to be able to say yes to that. Um, I would say there's certainly prioritization and funding for projects like this, whether they move more quickly through regulatory processes. Process, yeah. um, we haven't seen so much streamlining in that arena. Great. Um, I do want to echo the comments I think every commissioner has made, much of the public has made. I agree strongly that uh, it's a screw up to have not involved the residents of uh, the Bay 37 community earlier. Um, it's also, this thing isn't gonna be built for decades or at least a decade. So I think we should definitely take all of that to heart and include them as part of the process. I also don't think that any individual stakeholder should have veto over a project that is beneficial to the region at large. And so I think that I think balancing out those two things is actually really important. Um, and this is a complicated project because it does affect people, it affects people's lives. I made a bunch of points about a lot of that information was publicly available already uh, in terms of easement and availability. Um, I hope this project happens. I am personally, one comment, that, sorry, last comment. I personally think this bridge is a very challenging project and a very expensive project. And I think the suggestion to use the boat data for the estuary crossing boat that we're putting together and we're all excited about, I, thought, I think that's a fantastic suggestion because if we cannot make that successful, we cannot make that at capacity with all the outreach we're gonna do and all the excitement that we're gonna try to generate for it, then I think we should actually re-examine our numbers and maybe the, the, the assumptions about the amount that this bridge would be used are incorrect, but we're, we're in a scenario where we actually have a pretty good semi-proxy for this thing that we're gonna throw a bunch of effort at and if those numbers are low, then it would be wise for the city council to say, well, 
maybe this is not a great project because we need to, I, I know it's different funding mechanisms and all that, but I also think we should really get a handle on if those assumptions have any chance of really being true before we build this bridge. And I think that this is a great start to that thing. So I thought that suggestion was fantastic, actually. Um, that is all my, all my comments. It's very complicated. Any, any additional follow-up comments, questions? Commissioner Suthanthira. Tag on to your point on the forecast numbers, the anticipated numbers. So, uh, one, would as, one would think that with the new development coming up on the West End with more trips, and this would facilitate uh, yeah. the more shift, more, more shift, so. Thank you. Any other comments? I'm gonna try not to screw up how this goes. I'm going to close the agenda item. I don't think I need to take a vote. Uh, and hey, Chair Souls, come on back and take over. She should be back shortly. We're back. Any commissioner communications under item seven? None? I do have one, but I can go ahead. Can I ask one, one question? Um, I think a while ago we were talking about the um, a representative going from this uh, TC to the AC Transit Internal Liaison <coughs> Committee or something like that. Is that if the ILC? Um, I don't know whether that happened, um, uh, whether we identified anybody to be going there and all that, so. To the AC Transit Liaison, the, um, is it a working group or I can't remember what it is? It's a city council AC Transit Board um, interagency liaison committee. It's the ILC, like we call it the ILC, as <laughs> to AC Transit board members and two council members on it. Um, and I do remember talking about possibly having a transportation commission representative. And my memory is that we just left it as people could go if they were interested, but we didn't choose a person. Correct. Maybe if we have a, you know, some form of, uh, I know it's, it's between the council and uh, AC Transit Board, per se, right? And uh, um, if we, if, I know again, it's all volunteers and I don't want to nominate any, or, or volunteer anybody or some, or volunteer myself too. But I think it'll be a good idea to, for one of us to be going there, I guess, because I saw the, uh, the last meeting where uh, the Transpay bus was here and all that message was going out and I couldn't go and I was like wondering whether any of the TC members went. So that's what triggered me to ask this question, so. Yeah, I think we left it at, it wouldn't be an actual position, it was the commission, so. Um, 
And I don't rem and I believe the announcements, yeah, the announcements go out and it is a body of elected officials, I believe, right? Yeah, I, I, I mean, you can certainly get the agenda notifications um, by joining that mailing list. And we could, if we want to select a representative or have more conversation, we could agendize it for the next meeting. Yeah, we can also, you know, if, if we want to include a bullet on the staff report of anything that was um, of note, that would be another way. Okay. Because uh, one of us going doesn't make sense unless we're reporting out to everybody else. So, mm -hmm. attendance or volunteer from this commission going in a in a formal capacity doesn't work for the way we're structured, the governance. Is that all you had? Uh, yep. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, Commissioner Dara Abrams, go ahead. Oh, just my one little communication I wanted to share was an event I attended virtually. This was the Alameda CTC's Bikeways Academy event, and I hoped to go in person, but was had the cold that every single preschooler in Alameda had. But I think I saw some faces, I th and I think I maybe saw um, Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft on camera. You were all on the camera on the live broadcast. Oh, okay. I was like, I was there in person, I was not, so I was surprised yeah. that I. <laughs> yeah. But um, the the part I wanted to share it, it was you know inspiring event about building um, and improving the county's uh, bicycle infrastructure. I particularly honed in on a, uh, a Caltrans staffer speaking to Caltrans's uh, new policy on complete streets. DP 37, I wrote down the number, and I um, was glad to hear some of the details about it and that they're working on a uh, design information bulletin to codify some of that. And I hope that they will be following that policy with their right-of-way in Alameda, including um, Otis Drive and other projects to come in the future. So just some takeaways I had, but overall a, uh, an inspiring event with some um, some pretty good speakers. I hope the videos are online because they were pretty good. Yeah, it was a really good event. Any other commissioner communications? Mine's real quick. Um, this commissioner talked previously, I think I had brought up my disappointment at the, we'll call it the Hangar One shuttle that went from the boat around all the breweries and all the wineries and then back to the boat to help people both be able to drink and not drunk drive on Alameda. I think you all know, congratulations, the Alley Up uh, shuttle buses do that now. The city did a great job uh, getting that project moving. Uh, my understanding is with the individual business interests on the West End. Um, I just wanted to give a shout out to that project because I think it's a great project in many different ways for our economy, for follow up on things that the commission had asked about and also to uh, reduce drunk driving incidents. So I hope people come to Alameda, have a glass of wine, have a glass of beer, get back on the shuttle, get back on the boat and go home. <laughs> Thank you, Commissioner Whitesey. Any others? All right, we'll close item seven. I hope everyone has a really safe holiday season. It's starting to rain for the first time. Yay. So I'm sure everyone's forgotten how to drive or bike or look both ways <laughs> very well on the right. So be extra careful out there now that the daylight savings makes it darker earlier and um, we just want everyone to get home safe, get to school safe, get to work safe, and have a fantastic holiday season, and we'll see you in 2024. Yep. Happy holidays, everyone. Motion to adjourn. I guess I have to do it formally. Yes. Yes. <laughs>